Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Another night of NBA playoffs in the books. Were you surprised? Lakers back home win. First time they won a playoff game at home since 2012. Yikes. First time they've been there since 2013. I knew it had been a while. Didn't know it had been that long. Of course, the bubble extended all those streaks. Well, they get the win at home. They beat the Suns, who are just a shadow of the Suns. Chris Paul tries to play. Chris Paul makes a few plays. Everyone gets excited. Eventually, Chris Paul's sitting over on the bench looking sad, and the Lakers are on the court pulling away. I don't think LeBron James is healthy. He doesn't look as explosive to me. Don't see him changing directions and exploding out of cuts. Once in a while, you see that athleticism, you know, straight line to the hoop. Mostly, though, I see a guy flat-footed, looking for cutters, looking to pass the ball, looking to be a facilitator. Once in a while, he picks his spots and explodes to the rim, but it's usually in a straight line. <coughs> but he's getting away with it. Maybe he's getting a little healthier. Maybe he's tweaking it not letting us know he's going to play that close to the vest, obviously. Whatever he's got, it's enough against this version of the Suns because Chris Paul just isn't right. And now the Lakers are up 2-1. They're halfway to getting out of this series and moving on to the second round where they will get either Portland or Denver. And Denver went into Portland and won. They're up two games to one. Denver had a big lead. Um, Lillard is a volume shooter, volume three-point shooter. He's 5-16. of Uh, Had a big game, scored a bunch of points. Jokic scored a bunch of points, was more efficient. Denver had a big lead. And down the stretch, last three minutes, you got to get it done, and sure enough, Damian Lillard hits a couple of big threes, and then McCollum hits a huge three, and they get within three, and they foul, and there's like four seconds left in the game, and they send Monty Morris to the line, and he misses the first, and he misses the second. But under the theory they need a bunch of three-point shooters out there, they didn't have a rebounder like Cantor or Nurkic there. Covington and Carmelo Anthony were underneath, and guess what happened? The presumptive MVP, the Joker, just pushed Covington, who was on his side. Just pushed Covington under the rim. <laughs> he just moved him right out of the way. And then went to got, get the rebound, tried to tip it in, missed, went back up, tipped it again, and it went in, and they were up five, and that was that. The Blazers were close to having one last shot to get to overtime, and Jokic didn't let him have it. After the missed free throws in a three-point game, he got the tip in, and that's it. The Nuggets win 120-115. to 115. So Jokic and the Nuggets now up Two games to one, and the Lakers up two games to one on the Suns. Now, the Jazz, a different matter. What's going to happen? Game three, Saturday night in Memphis. Uh, We're going to talk with Joe Ingles coming up later this hour. You're going to hear from him as the Jazz get ready to go to Memphis for games on Saturday and Monday. And uh, got a few questions for him on that foul. That, That was that was something. It, it, we've seen a lot of guys bite on a three-point shooter, you know, faking, and we see the flyby, and we, sometimes we see him crash into him, and sometimes we see the, the shooter stick his legs out, so as the guy's trying to fly by him, there's contact, and then whose fault is it, and what do the refs see, and do they go review it, and all that stuff. I just don't think I've seen anyone do what Dylan Brooks did, and just saddle up and hop on Joe's shoulders, get a piggyback ride. So we'll talk with Joe about that. Talk with you all about the level of preparation for uh, Game 2 versus Game 1 and uh, what they've picked up here through two games as they go to Memphis now. See if the Jazz can trick control this series, or do they go there and split, which I, I do think seems like the most likely outcome. I could see that, and then I could see the Jazz win in 5 and 6. 
Um, <clears throat> but first things first, just go out and try to win game three. You got you to gotta win the first one before you win them both. So we'll see what the Jazz do. So we'll hear from Joe Ingles coming up. And we've also got Craig Bullerjack coming up next. So all of that on the way. And then at some point, well, at 7 o'clock, we'll do what is trending. And that'll give us a chance to talk about the Pirates, who apparently don't know the rules of baseball very well. See, when the ball gets hit to third and you throw it to first, you don't have to tag the guy. I know the throw was up the line and all that or down the line towards home plate. Um, but when you catch it, if the guy backs up, just turn around and step on the bag. What a comedy of errors by the by the Pirates. A mental blunder and then two throwing errors. and uh, ugh, that, was, that was awful. Awful. Pirates and Cubs. Just terrible. We'll get to that coming up. Uh, coming up next, we have Craig Bowlerjack, TV voice of the Utah Jazz. We'll get his thoughts as the uh, Jazz win 141-129, an incredibly high-scoring game, and even the series up at a game apiece and get ready to go to Memphis. Bowler next, and then Joe Ingles. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We had Craig Bullerjack on kind of late in the show yesterday. Want to let you listen to his conversation as uh, the Jazz turn things around, get the win over Memphis, even the series up at a game of one, now a game apiece. It's 1-1, and now the Jazz have to go to Memphis and do the same thing. And Bowler with thoughts on the series, on Mitchell's return, and on Joe Ingles being a good teammate and giving the seventh man of the year award. Uh, the sixth man of the year award from the seventh man of the year uh, to his teammate Jordan Clarkson. So here's uh, Craig Bowlerjack with PK and I on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. The Davis Vision spring LASIK sale is going on now. Get rid of those contacts and glasses and save $1,000. Start your road to better vision at Davis Vision. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call them today at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. Time to welcome in the TV voice of the Utah Jazz, Craig Bowlerjack. Bowler, good morning. Hello, DJ. PK, how are you? Good. All is right with the world, once again, because the Jazz picked up the offense and just outscored Memphis. Now, that might drive Quinn Snyder nuts, but I don't know the Jazz fans minded. That was entertaining. It was a W. Mitchell looked good. What more did you want, Bowler? Well, I mean, it's uh, it's a playoff uh, franchise record in scoring, right? Also, most points allowed in a playoff game, uh, 141-129. I'll be honest, I've got some free throw hangover today. Uh, you know, I mean, boy, the whistle was pretty, was pretty uh, popular, you know, in that game last night. Uh, amazing to watch that you can put, you know, two teams at the line almost 70 times, 69 to be exact. But to your point, Yes, the energy in the building was awesome. Uh, and, of course, Donovan, I thought his emotion just ran through the entire team. And that's who he is. That's what he does. And in the limited minutes that he played, uh, you know, there's a couple of moments you go, uh-oh, because of just the physical. You, uh, you understand, I think, more and more how physical he plays. And so when he, you know, hits the floor a couple of times and took a walk back the tunnel, into the tunnel, 
you thought, what's going on? But in the post game, we understood, you know, he was just trying to keep keep that ankle warm. But I thought with the minutes given, he did great. And um, obviously the players, his teammates followed. And uh, there's a few holes in the defense. Obviously, uh, John Moran is a terrific young talent, but he got into the paint a ton. And, of course, uh, the Jazz have got to make uh, some adjustments as they head down uh, to Memphis. I think that his mere presence, and what I mean by that making a difference, is that once we all, everybody, I'm talking fans, broadcasters, obviously players, coaches, owners, you name it, that once we saw him out there and he looked like Donovan Mitchell, like there wasn't any, like with Chris Paul, he comes out the other night and he just didn't look like Chris Paul. And I think that had a negative effect on the Suns because, like, wow, we don't have Chris Paul, the Chris Paul that we know that got us to this point. And I think that really was a letdown for those guys, and they end up losing the game. Conversely, the positive here is that Mitchell looked like the Donovan Mitchell that we have seen many, many times over, even though there wasn't as many minutes as he normally would play. But his very presence, he hits the shot right off the bat. I thought that really set the tone, and everybody could relax because it was like we got our guy. You just said the, you know, the three. That's the magical moment. The first shot out of his hand in 17 games in nearly six weeks. I mean, that's how you paint the return, right, PK? I mean, if you get that type of shot, and everyone does have the feeling of everything is okay, everything's okay. And it does spread throughout the arena, spreads around his teammates. And you can tell that. You're, you're spot on. You can tell that. And the Jazz, of course, struggled in game one from the three-point line, and they shoot 49% in game two after shooting 26% in uh, the first game. So, yes, making that first shot, which happened to be a three, just sets the plate, or I should say puts sets the table and uh, everyone came to feast a little bit. I, I thought you're right. I mean, the emotion of that moment and just having the crowd rise in their feet, yeah, that was that was special. Craig Bolderjack joining us, TV voice of the Jazz. So how much are you worried about Jordan Clarkson in the three-point shooting? One of 14, he banked one in. That's the only make in the series, 0 for 8 in the opener and 1 for 6 in game two. How much are you worried, or how much did you see him going to the hoop? And getting the free throw line and thinking, well, as long as he scores, it doesn't matter how. You know, I think we get uh, pretty pretty engrossed with Clarkson, and I get it, uh, sixth man of the year. Uh, I think there's been a stretch here, even in the uh, at the end of the regular season, where the three-point shot has been difficult for him. Uh, it, it feels rushed to me. I don't know, again, if it's – too much talk, too much hype, too much pressure, but I, I'm, I still appreciate the fact that he is starting to understand more and more that he can do more than just knock threes you know, down. It's like you just said, to the rim. He was 7-for-7 seven seven from the free throw line last night, and he's still getting his point production. I mean, I, you get a label sometime. It's probably our fault, you know, but fans love, you know, what we call the flamethrower, and the guy is just relentless in the way that he plays and continues to search dribble and find buckets. And he's, I think he's impactful just as much, to be honest. If he recognizes a three-point shot or they're defending him on the three-point line, the way that he's goes, going to the rim and getting to the free-throw line is just as good as knocking down threes. You're judged many times in this league, especially with the way the Jazz depend on the three and Clarkson's uh, ability to hit that three and being a game-changer 
uh, that that's kind of um, I can name multiple times in my mind where he's he's helped change the flow of the game just with his three point shot and, and and pulling the trigger on a three, but it hasn't happened in the postseason. It's going to come back. I think Quinn Snyder totally has confidence in, in Jordan Clarkson. Look, nothing's going to sway that. Uh, we've seen enough proof that he can. Uh, you know, he it's a it's. The way that the three-point shooters are, it's a roller coaster, as we know. And I think right now, a lot's going on in his head, and he's just got to settle down and play his game. But he's also making a, making adjustments uh, that he can. It's not working outside. Go inside and find yourself to the free throw line. It's just as effective. Doesn't matter how you score. Just put numbers on the board. Morant gets a lot of run, and he's a fantastic player. It's fun to watch. Brooks now. Uh, you got to tip your cap to him because he's a tough, hard-nosed kid, and he's playing well. The thing, the, one of the guy, the guy who probably scares me the most. I mean, Durant, Moran obviously is the guy, but this Valanciunas man, he is such a load. And we saw that Derek Favors has a hard time matching because the size difference is pretty big, and it's like Gobert is pretty much the only guy that can do anything with him because of his bulk and all that stuff. How much are you concerned that he still uh, is going to be effective and maybe even more effective in the rest of this series? BK, it's all about the whistle. It's all about who it will be or will not be in foul trouble, right? I mean, Gobert picked up four. Uh, Valanchunas last night uh, had four as well, so they kind of negate each other a bit. Rudy, you know, was on the rim. I thought he played really well. Um, you know, efficient. Only missed two shots, 21 points. He rebounded, had a couple three-block shots. But Valanciunas, to your point, man, the guy is a load. And the part of it is he has a more of an offensive game than Gobert. Rudy, as we all know, is at the rim. And Conley, by the way, did a marvelous job getting Gobert involved, right, last night. Pocket passes, put it right where it had to be and made Rudy really a, a big force offensively. But Valanciunas can turn. He'll face up. He's got the hook shot. But, look, there's, they have kind of like their many big three. I'm just, you know, Valanciunas, Brooks, and Morant. And if you get a guard line with a big, you're going to be a difficult team to beat. And that's who they've become. And they've grown with, by the way, since the Jazz swept the season series uh, in the regular season, I mean, that team's grown a lot. Uh, Dylan Brooks, man, out of nowhere, just has become a force. He has confidence, to your point. And Jaw last night, I just don't know what how you stop it. I mean, he is he's not a three-point shooter, but he's in the paint. And the shot of the shots, the, now that the shot that's in vogue in the NBA is the floater. And, boy, he is good at getting in the paint, timing it, able to drop it over Gobert and D-Faves. And they're going to have to figure something out to keep him outside the paint, force him into a jump shooter, or try to force him out on the you know three point line somehow. But the way he is able to to maneuver himself into the lane is is pretty impressive. I mean, look what he did with Curry and Golden State in the in the final play in that got him into the playoffs. And he's had a pretty good. I mean, not pretty good. He's had a really good series uh, against Utah right now. And he's scary. Every time he touches the ball, especially in the second half last night, I kind of felt like, look, he had his way. He's built his confidence. And look at the numbers he put up, 47. Wow, 47. And it looked easy, by the way. PK, it looked easy. So Gobert and Conley get in foul trouble and the Jazz lose game one. 
Right. Alan Shunas and Brooks get in foul trouble, and the Grizzlies lose game two. And in both cases, the foul trouble was immediate. It was in the first part of the first quarter that the fouls started piling up. So I'm kind of thinking that the NBA isn't going to want to be four or five games deep and having to say, well, whoever's in foul trouble, the refs are deciding this series. I think right. they're going to go to Memphis and they're going to let them play. Assuming a game is refereed with a let them play mentality, who does that benefit? Uh, it may benefit, well, Memphis likes to play rough and physical, right? We saw that with Dylan Brooks with his headbutt routine in game one, and Valanchunas uh, is, a, is a rough, rugged guy down in the paint. It may, it may frustrate the Jazz that there are no calls, to be honest. And DJ, to your point, I just made a note to myself in my, my scorecard last night, Dylan Brooks played eight minutes in the first half and Valanchunas seven. And then they were able to stay on the floor the second mm-hmm. half. Yeah, they were. And I think to your point, you know, it's who stays on the floor and who can stay productive and find their rhythm, right? Uh, we'll see how the home court plays into the hands of the Memphis Grizzlies, right, in the next two games. It's 1-1, but I got a feeling this is going to be more difficult than than people expected. Can they win? Yeah, absolutely. They're a better team depth-wise. The benches are going to give you much, if anything. I mean, Grayson Allen, you know, was a goose egg last night, and you get a bucket or two on occasion from uh, Bain and Melton, but the Jazz are a, are a deeper team that, in my book, is going to be the the, uh, the deciding factor in this series, which will go Utah's way. Yeah, I, and that's what I think the bottom line is. The Memphis got some good players, and they're a team on the come, but the bottom line, as I say again and repeat it, reiterate again, is that the Jazz have – it's not good grammar, but they have more better players. That, that that's how I see it. That's no, how I see the difference. As questions go, that, that was flawless. Yeah, yeah, but TPK, they're more better, more better, good. They are. They just have. If I line up the rosters, they're deeper. Probably the better way to say it. But what the heck? Yeah. Well, Clarkson, Joe, George. Uh, and then what Favors gave the Jazz in game one in a loss was pretty impressive last night. You know, he was still, what was he? He, had, he only played 12 minutes, but the, he got five points and three rebounds. But, you know, if you break down the minutes, uh, I mean, his game one performance was about as good as, as we've seen all year long, um, 12, 11, and four. That's that's phase, man, at his best. But, you know, the George Niangs are going to have to chip in eight to ten points, you know what Joe's about, and Clarkson still finds a way, as we mentioned. The three may not fall, but he still has a way to get to the line and, and, and sneak in and score at the rim. So, you know, even a – I mean, I don't know if Ilya Sova is going to be a part of this or not. I thought he would be more, but I just don't know if it's, that's going to be uh, something the Jazz will use. It looks like uh, the decision's been made who's going to play, and it's a tight rotation. Mieoni hasn't played – Ilya Silva, Matt Thomas, uh, Trent Forrest, but if needed, they're there. But I think again, I think you see the rotation and how it's going to how it's going to play out. So Grayson Allen plays twenty three minutes and is uh, minus ten in the plus minus in game one, and then in game two he's zero for six and minus twenty three in nineteen minutes. Can they eliminate the Grayson Allen minutes? Because it looks to me like the Jazz are feasting on him. They obviously have the perfect scouting report for him. They know him well. Is this an advantage the Jazz are just going to, well, to PK's point about the bench, let's face it, Memphis has the worser bench. Oh, they, 
Yeah. That, that was also I could say worse or on the radio. Don't kid worse yourself. Or, yeah. Yeah. Now it's I'm I'm looking at the box score last night and and you know Bain played uh, 24 minutes and gave them eight uh, five points and Grayson Allen you're right I don't know I I don't think they have much more to go to Taylor Jenkins uh, their head coach I don't think there's much more that that he's got to go to so at Grayson Allen really it has got to be a player <clears throat> excuse me that um, that has to step up for Memphis if they want to have a chance to upset the one seed but I. You know, we saw Grayson Allen for, what, a short period of time, 30, 35, 30, 35 plus games. And there were moments that he was able to to, to look like he was NBA ready. Uh, I thought in game one, you know, he had a little bit more, uh, a little bit more spunk. I mean, he, he, you know, he only played 23 minutes, but still he hit a three, I guess. But yeah, he hasn't, he hasn't uh, performed like I thought he would. Uh, defensively, he's kind of his, Maybe he maybe he taught Dylan Brooks some of the physical play of defense, right, from his uh, days at Duke. But um, I still think the bottom line is that the Jazz are the better team uh, and, and are the deeper team, and that's going to be the, the deciding factor in this series. I, I just don't see, uh, you know, really any more minutes for uh, – productive minutes for Grayson Allen. He is who he is. And same with Desmond Bain, the rookie, and the same with Anthony Melton. I mean, I don't think you're going to get more than 14, 17 points out of that group of players, and it's all on the big three of Memphis. It's on Morant, it's on Brooks, it's on Valanciunas, and maybe you get some um, some points from Jaron Jackson Jr. He was living at the free throw line, mind you, last night as well. Uh, but he still doesn't look right coming back from knee surgery, by the way. But uh, it's a work in progress with him. And then Kyle Anderson's kind of an X factor too. But it's really, I think the scoring is going to, will be all on the backcourt and the big uh, for Memphis. What are all the rules as far as what you're allowed to broadcast going forward? Uh, we will broadcast uh, all the way up to round one, the end of round one, except if a game seven would occur, most likely. I'm guessing that's uh, an exclusive on ABC. Uh, if ABC steps in any of the games, we can't broadcast. So okay. if it's TNT or ESPN, uh, we are able to do what they call side-by-side. Uh, they're not here. Uh, they're calling remotely, as we will again. It was great to be in the building for two games with fans. I just love it. It was yeah. great. And But we'll have a watch party. Uh, the fans are able to register and come in and watch. Uh, the game with us, uh, and we'll call it. Uh, Big T will be on hand with me on on both Saturday and Monday's games. So we'll we'll uh, we'll have the crowd at hand, and I'm, I like that idea too. I mean, uh, if they're away, let the fans enjoy uh, the arena and watch it on the big screen, just like uh, just like I will, and how we'll call that game. So uh, they'll be hearing your voice in the arena. Uh, yeah, kind of bizarre, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so if they they come in and um, we'll have it piped in and we'll oh, watch cool. it together off the big screen and the concession stands are open, uh, people can uh, you know come and go. Uh, you do have to register online um, with uh, I, I think you can check it out on utahjazz.com, uh, but it's free to the public and I think oh, they've already had six plus thousand reservations to come in. So I'm, I'm I think it's kind of a cool idea in a, in yeah, a difficult yeah. time and it doesn't cost you. Uh, you can just come in and, and enjoy the game and uh, in a in a big arena, you know, setting a feeling. So I'm I'm excited to have them there with us alongside. Yeah. Well, for people who cut the cord, this is a huge opportunity. True, it is. 
and you know it's it's something I'm not sure what game four. That's Memorial Day. Yeah. Uh, on Monday, which again I'm not sure if they'll open the arena or not. But I know they're going to try this on on Saturday, and uh, hopefully this will be more to come as the Jazz uh, continue down the road to uh, to to a Western Conference title and hopefully beyond. Well, Bowler, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for hopping on with us. Absolutely. Hey, just a a shout-out to Joe. I thought that was one of the most incredible class moments in NBA, uh, I can't say history, but look, uh, handing a trophy off to your teammate, if he didn't think that was special, look, he put his own ego aside to honor a teammate. And I just sat back and went, wow, what a great idea by TNT. But Joe was the fuel behind it that would go along with it. Tell Joe as I warm up his act, man, thumbs up. I thought that was really one of the coolest moments uh, that two teammates could share. And I could tell Clarkson was truly, truly moved by that moment. Those two guys have a great bond, and you could tell. That was that was a great moment for the Jazz, for Jazz fans and, and really Jazz history. It really was. It was great. Bowler will do it. Thanks for joining us. All right, guys. Take care. See you soon. This is Craig Boulderjack with PK and I. Coming up next, Joe Ingles. Joe Ingles and the Jazz picking up the win. Totally different with Donovan on the floor. And we'll get into that with Joe coming up next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280, The Zone. The Utah Jazz got Game 2 Wednesday night. Saturday, they are in Memphis, and of course... Every week, Joe Ingles joins us. He joined us late in the show Thursday. We want to play it right now for you early risers and let you listen to Joe talking about the series, where things stand, and the Jazz picking up a win. Here's Joe on 97.5 1280 The Zone. Hey, yeah! This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe and he'll flush! And it's time to hear from the best-looking, most charismatic... And certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle Bells! Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe to the cop, slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show. (coughs) With DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. The Joe Ingles Show with DJ and PK is brought to you by Cypress Credit Union. For a limited time only, get a free Utah Jazz signed Joe Ingles jersey when you open a new dream checking account with direct deposit at Cypress Credit Union. Cypress Credit Union, your future is our future. Time to welcome in Joe Ingles. Joe, good morning. <laughs> good morning. I've got uh, I've got Miller in the car and she just heard my name like through the intros, and she's like, the Joe Ingalls show? The Joe Ingalls jersey? <laughs> yeah, you're just dad, Joe. You're nobody to her outside of dad. No, all her friends at school call me Mr. Joe Ingalls, and then she comes home and, like, silly, like, when she's being in a silly mood and calls me Mr. Joe Ingalls. <laughs> Where does she get that sense of humor, I wonder? 
yeah, she's got a bit of my uh, personality. So hopefully, hopefully she she takes more after her mother than me. It'll be a a lot better for her in the long run. So with your personality in mind, Joe, how glad were you that Donovan Mitchell farted? I mean, started in the game. <laughs> how funny was that? <laughs> How do you mix those two words up? <laughs> That's not anything like I don't. I'm not going to try and pretend I can make up a word that sounds the same. But like that's not even the. It doesn't even sound the same. <laughs> well, of course, and you couldn't let it go either. No way, not with those guys. I'm, I'm making sure I call out everything. <laughs> yeah, let's hear it. What changed? Where did they fart? Where did they start finding success? And and what do you guys do about it in game two? I'm not sure where they fought it. Uh, um, thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> I once asked a basketball coach, you've had great success, but I kind of stumbled over success and it came out, eh, maybe sex, at home. <laughs> Which the guy had well, three kids, so I guess it was accurate. <laughs> maybe, uh... Maybe someone else would have let it go, but no matter the uh, seriousness of the situation, I ain't let that go. I knew you weren't. I was laughing while I was listening. So how much better is life after a playoff win? How much better do you feel at 1-1 than you would have at 0-2? Oh, I mean, I never ever thought about 0-2, to be honest with you. So, um, yeah, I mean, it feels, obviously feels good. I think we kind of got got back to our ourselves a little bit I think we um, we didn't play we didn't play well um, lots of turnovers I think they had like 16 17 offensive rebounds in that first game um, just led to some, some well a lot of easy buckets for them with the turnovers and that so um, we didn't we didn't probably move the ball as well and get the shots that we we would normally get and take. Um, and then obviously, like I said, with the, the turnovers and that too, um, we were just kind of on the back foot a little bit, I think, with, with their um, energy and in, in pushing the ball and running and, and, like I said, off off turnovers and, and those like offensive rebounds and stuff, it's hard to, to play we wanted, the way we wanted to play. So um, it was good to have, have Donovan back out there and have a, another... Um, another target, another uh, attacking um, guard who obviously they have to heavily respect. And um, yeah, we got, I think we got back to our, ourselves a little bit from that first game. So I was interested to see how Mitchell would do right from the start, you know, because five weeks is a long time without going and playing NBA ball and nothing you can do can recreate that. But the thing that I thought was great for him is that he looked like he hadn't really missed a beat. He came back. He didn't play as many minutes, obviously. But when he first got out on the floor, hits the three, I thought, wow, that that's the Mitchell that I saw back in April before he got hurt. How much of a boost and a jolt do you think that provided the team? Yeah, I mean, I think regardless if he was out another game or two or whatever the situation was, I think we would have been better in that. Was, was unbelievable and um, maybe a part of that too that the energy in there was, was obviously him him being back and, and healthy um, but yeah like you said just just to have him out there and um, obviously he's 
still been around our group, so we still we still kind of had him around a bit. But um, I mean, I was probably the happiest out of anyone to not have to bring out the ball every possession. So um, yeah, it was it was great to have him out there. Like you said, I think he the the first few possessions he kind of just just let it come to him. He didn't try and force it. He didn't try and kind of come out with a bang and 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 be super aggressive. He let the game come to him and. I think he got like a catch and shoot three at some point in those first few minutes. And I think once that, once he saw that go down, I think it was kind of, like you said, like it just get kind of right back into where he, where he left. So, um, obviously he was on a bit of restriction. Um, I don't know how long that will last or, or what the case with that is, but obviously the, the more he's out there, the, the better it is for our team. So I wonder how much of game two was you guys feeling, uh, I don't know if desperation is the right word, urgency, feeling urgency because you lost game one. That always seems to happen in the playoffs. But this seems different than most playoff series because I think a big part of game one, correct me if I'm wrong, but a big part of game one was your preparation. We always hear you play better when you have more preparation, and yet you found out you didn't have Donovan just a couple hours before the game. So you shoot around, you practice, the preparation wasn't the same, and I think that led to problems. Do you feel like that lack of preparation led to problems? Yeah, I mean, it was a, a little bit of a surprise. Like, like, like he said, and I think a couple other guys said, like we assumed he was playing. Um, I went to have a little lay down for half an hour and I woke up, well, I closed my eyes for a bit, I don't know if I fell asleep, but woke up and, and obviously found out he wasn't playing, so um, uh, especially, I think for me, it, it probably makes the biggest difference in terms of my role. My role's very different with a full roster compared to, to one or two guys being out, so um, but I mean, it, it, I mean, it's no excuse, it's, I mean, we've played a lot of basketball without Donovan this last few weeks and um, I mean, you've got to give a, a bit of credit to them. I mean, they came out, they had to fight their asses off to, to win these last two games in the, the play-in to get in and, and obviously did that. We're playing some good basketball and came in confident. And I mean, what we, I think we had a week off, so we were kind of sitting around waiting for our opponent for a bit. So, um, I mean, there's a, a mix of probably a few things, but there, I mean, there's no excuse. I think we... We had enough time to prepare. We had enough time to rest. We had enough time to, to do all those things. And obviously, the the only thing that kind of took its time was was finding out who we were playing. Uh, apart from that, we we were able to do everything else. So, um, I mean, guys are guys are in and out in an NBA season a lot. And so, uh, I mean, I'm not going to use that as an excuse. I think they came out ready to play. Like I said, we 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 had. X amount of turnovers and X amount of offensive rebounds, which I think really helped the, the way they played. I think we we cleaned a lot of that stuff up, um, and we're obviously adjust. And uh, like I said, I think we played a lot more like ourselves in the in the second game. So Moran has been sensational in both games. Brooks been pretty good. Valanciunas has been pretty good. How much concern do you have defensively to make sure you keep those guys under control a little bit more? Yeah, I mean it's. Morant's a good example of one of those kind of the high volume, like he has the ball so much that, that there's going to be times where you obviously want to limit your breakdowns as much as, or not even breakdowns, but limit his um, kind of aggressiveness as much as you can. Um, but, but he does have the ball a lot and he's going to, 
same with Brooks and same with Bellatunas. They're going to post Bellatunas a lot. They're going to run the sets for, for Moran and for, for Brooks. So we've got to be locked in on, on kind of those guys. And then obviously another key is, is not letting other guys get off. It's different if, if Moran has 40-something and, and two or three other guys have 20-something. Like, it's a, it's a different game. So um, obviously with Brooks's foul trouble, we were, we were able to kind of keep him out of the game a little bit. Um, Valentunas had some foul trouble and obviously Moran kind of put it on himself to, to take over, I guess. Um, so we, we just got to make it tough for him. Um, like I said, they're going to play high minutes. They're going to play obviously high volume with, with the amount that those, those two and three guys have the ball. So um, for, for us, we know we're a deep team. We can put different guys on them. We can, we can play the way we play and make them defend on the other end and, and like I said, just, just make it as, as tough as we can for, for the the 40 plus minutes those guys are out there. So when Memphis comes out in the third quarter and scores on 15 consecutive possessions to open the quarter, it took you guys eight minutes to get a stop. There were a couple timeouts in there. I'm just wondering how much fun was Quinn in the timeouts? <laughs> it's always fun in timeouts. Um, yeah, I mean, I think yeah, they, I mean, we obviously weren't getting stopped. The, the, the thing that held us in it a little bit. We, we were scoring a little bit too. Obviously, the lead got cut cut to whatever it did to at the end of that quarter. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's got to be something. I mean, we can't. I don't know if that. I would be surprised if that happened at all all year. Really, um, it's probably the first time. Fifteen straight possessions is um, obviously that will be a sign that we 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 needed to pick it up or. Whatever the case was, be more aggressive, be more physical. Um, I'm sure and have no doubt we'll watch parts of that at some point uh, today or tomorrow or the next day um, leading into this next game just just to see um, what we can do better. Obviously, there's, there's times in games that things happen. You Obviously, we're going to give up points. We're not going to hold them to zero, but there's, there's a lot of things we can do, to, like I said, to, to make it tougher or... or harder on these guys to, to score or to get a good shot. So um, that's what it, I mean, it's a series. Um, that's what the series is about. You make adjustments on the fly and adjustments in games and adjustments on your, your day off. And um, so like I said, we'll no doubt we'll, uh, we'll see, see some of those clips and then we'll figure out what we were doing and, and obviously try and be better for, for the next one. So tell us how it all came about with you obviously knowing the Jordan Clarkson thing and then the league must have got with you or something and then you you basically you tell him and that was a that was a unique moment especially because you were also on the list and so in my mind Joe you may not be the 6th man of the year but you're the 7th man of the year. I know I should get a trophy or something. Exactly. Sure. Yes, no uh, question. Yeah, I mean it's I I said it at one point like I was surprised um, I didn't even know I was in the running or whatever. I, like I said, I've never played for anything like that. And, um, yeah, it was a cool, it was a cool moment, I guess, for me. And I'll probably look back on when I retire. It was, it was a cool moment just to, to even be in a conversation. I think the impact that we both make and, and the pride we have of coming off the bench and, and, um, obviously we, we make an impact in different ways. Um, him, what, what he does and the scoring and aggressiveness he brings is uh, is unique. I don't think you'll you'll ever see another player like JC. I think I said that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and 
I mean, I was, even though I was in contention for it, I was very confident TC was going to win regardless. Um, but yeah, I just got, um, I guess I got asked, um, or, or told that JC had won and, um, and then asked if I would be happy to, to present it to him. And, um, I mean, it's pretty cool. I think you see a lot of these, these trophies or situations get presented by family or, or someone from higher up in the organization or, or something like that. And, um, I mean, it's very obvious that, that JC and I are, are very close and, and speak a lot. And like I said, I mean, it's funny. He, he's probably the one that's made and, and helped me feel a lot more comfortable coming off the bench and being proud to come off the bench and make an impact and trying to figure out how to make an impact coming off the bench. So, um, yeah, it was cool to, to sit in there with him and we just... Um, obviously, we I, I knew what the questions were, <laughs> um, which is also why I got the first answer very quickly. Um, and then, yeah, just just a, a pretty cool moment. I, I was like, it was an honour to, to sit in there with him and, and to give him the trophy like that. To, it's normally a family member or, or something like that. I think it was Julius Randall's um, his, his kid. His, I think it was his son. Um, got gave him his most improved and stuff like that. So. Yeah, it was it was awesome. Like I said, to to hand it to him because we are close, and um, obviously being kind of first and second in those votes was uh, was a cool moment. So I'm very very happy that he he won it. He he deserves it. Um, and yeah, next time I if I realise it's so close next time, I just won't pass him the ball as much. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> So you're very close to Jordan Clarkson, and then unexpectedly you're you're very close to Dylan Brooks. I mean, that's what I assumed when I saw he wanted a piggyback ride in the middle of the game. Oh, you flopped on that one, Joe. Come on. <laughs> he landed on my head. <laughs> <laughs> like, actually on my head. Like, I mean, I had a lot of uh, hate mail on my Twitter account after the game from, I'm assuming, uh, Memphis fans, but um, obviously I wasn't trying to hurt him or like it was a, when you look back, it looked, I mean, it was, it was, I didn't realize how high he jumped. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's like any situation when someone, someone jumps and, and you've got a chance to, to be able to get those three shots. I was trying to obviously draw a foul and get those three shots. Obviously there was zero intention to, to hurt him as much as we've gotten into it. The, probably the whole time we've played each other the last few years. Um, yeah, there's obviously zero intentions to, to hurt someone, but just, yeah, just trying to make a play to, to get those free throws. And, I mean, I got the free throws, but, um, yeah, it was, uh, I definitely didn't realize how, how high he jumped until, until after. Did you say anything? Because you like to talk in those situations. I'm surprised you didn't scream, and three! No, actually, um, actually really hurt my elbow. I landed on <laughs> the corner of the four or something, something, whatever was down there. Um, so I actually hurt my elbow, so I was more worried about my elbow, to be honest. So best trash talk of the game, does it go to Donovan? Because when we got the second foul on Brooks, uh, the cameras were on him, and Twitter, you've probably seen it, came alive with the exact quote, which was very Joe Ingles-ish. Um, I'm taking no responsibility for the words that came out of his mouth. <laughs> so any, any people out there that want to blame me can go to uh, wherever they want to go to. Um, 
I'm on his ass. I'm on his ass. Get him the bleep out. (laughs) Donovan was suddenly much more popular, which is hard to believe, but true. It's amazing, right? Yeah. Amazing the things we come up with in uh, in the heat of the moment in these games. So that no, was uh, go ahead. Credit to him. Good on him. So you go back to Memphis, and you know home court is a big deal and all that stuff. How do you stay in the moment and not get it beyond the actual play, the actual game, as opposed to oh, we got to get one at least, and got to get home and all that stuff, and got to four as far as making sure you're not getting beyond what you need to do? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like you said, it's kind of possession by possession. We just got to, um, like I said, we'll, we'll watch the film from the other, well, last night, um, and, and no doubt, as always, there's, there's things that we can work on and fix and get better at and stuff like that. So we'll, we'll do that. Um, obviously, the, the focus is, today having a bit of recovery and rest and um, kind of get what you need to do and then obviously come in tomorrow and get organized and play and film and do what we do and and then uh, and then head out to the, the plane so um, yeah we'll use the data to get ready this morning uh, to, to rest and recover this morning and then and then just get ready kind of take it one game at a time obviously you want to try and <laughs> we, we obviously want to win both but you go in and focus on that first one and um, and the result happens, and then we, we do the same thing. I mean, it's it's a very cliche, boring answer, but it's kind of the way it has to be with um, with a series like this. Well, Joe, as always, we appreciate a few minutes. Craig Bolajak wanted to uh, make sure you got the shout-out for uh, giving your teammate the trophy. He thought that was cool, and he wasn't uh, messing around when he said it. So nice job of that. Nice job of the W, and we will talk to you again in another week. You will. I appreciate it, guys. There is Joe Ingles. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us. Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag Utah Jazz. There's times in games that things happen. Obviously, we're going to give up points. We're not going to hold them to zero, but there's there's a lot of things we can do, like I said, to to make it tougher or harder on these guys to score or to get a good shot. So, I mean, it's a series. That's what the series is about. You make adjustments on the fly and adjustments in games and adjustments on your your day off. And no doubt we'll uh, we'll see some of those clips and then we'll figure out what we were doing and and obviously try and be better for, for the next one. That's Joe Ingles on the Jazz, improving their defense. They gave up 129 points. They won game two despite that, but no reason to risk that again. Got to defend better, not give up the points on 15 consecutive possessions to open the third quarter. That's a stretch that's going to stick with everybody. It's game three, PK, and it's a chance to take the lead. Uh, Take control of the series is probably a little too strong, but take the lead in the series at least Saturday night, and then that would give them a chance to really take control of it Monday if they can hit the Daily Double on the road. Yeah, I would agree that I wouldn't say take control. I'd say reestablish themselves as the favorite to win the series because I think if they win tomorrow, they do reestablish themselves as the favorite to win the series. But then then certainly if they were to sweep, then the series slants heavily in their favor, as it did last year with 3-1-2. But, you know, that was an unusual set of circumstances. So 
I probably wouldn't put much stock in uh, recreating losing a 3-1 lead, but we're getting way ahead of ourselves. What can they do to slow down Memphis while still maintaining their high efficiency on offense like they had in game two? So, And Joe was right. You know, in a series with the adjustments and all the stuff going back and forth, it adds to the intrigue. So this is a 7.30 game Saturday night. It's on ESPN and AT&T Sportsnet. Jazz game night, the pregame show, tips off on the zone at 6.30. Uh, game four is also a 7.30 game Monday night. That'll be on TNT. Now we get into the uh, part of the show where fans get banned, and we'll be repeating this all morning long because it's happening in multiple cities. But three Jazz fans have been banned from Vivid Arena after getting into verbal altercations with family members of the Memphis Grizzly players, in particular John Morant's family members. Other fans around him heard him. Other fans around him say they were having a good time going back and forth with John Morant's family members, and then some people went way across the line, and now the Jazz have gone ahead and banned three Jazz fans. Well, it's good definitely to ban them. I think there's a lot of things that I was thinking about. So this, it sounds like that there was some banter going back and forth during yeah. the course of the game. So as the game progressed, so I would like a thorough, uh, I don't know what the word is, research, investigation, I guess, uh, is what I'm looking for. League-wide, when each of these things happens, and one is too many, we all, most of us agree on that, I think all of us would, uh, but do league-wide investigations and what's going on. And so before each game, like right before the start, the public address announcer makes an announcement. If you do anything that's inappropriate, any profanity, any of that stuff, we're going to ban you for life. Let's just have the death penalty, so to speak. Put it out there and make a strong, strong statement. And then do an investigation. If it was kind of friendly banter during, but as the game progressed, was it because the heat of the game was it because how much alcohol was involved? Because the league certainly doesn't have any issue charging whatever they charge for a beer. Is it ten bucks or twelve bucks? I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know. I don't drink. It's a lot. Stuff. Yeah, I mean, you're in the so, na- you're in the neighborhood. You but, see the signs yeah, just when we walk into the arena. Right. How much is that factoring in? Because they don't have any problem making money from that stuff. But is it? And maybe it's not a factor at all. That's what I would like to find out. It's zero factor. Um, but maybe in some cases it is. So maybe come up with some stuff there that you can mitigate that. Because this stuff has got to stop. It's a, we, we, one, one is too much. But I want some hard data on what's going on and some real strong ramifications that the league puts forward, each individual team, and says it. And maybe they say it during multiple times during the game, whatever it might be. Because I, I, all of us are just sick of it. Well, there's no doubt about that. There were plenty of people on uh, social media uh, complaining about it, complaining what it does to the image of the state, how embarrassed they are by it. There are multiple people posting about how many people around uh, Morant's family were having fun interacting with him, that Josh's dad was a blast and all that kind of stuff. So it doesn't have to go south like this, but apparently it does on multiple occasions, and here's another one. I, I don't know how they enforce these bans. I mean, until we get to facial recognition technology, which, you know, maybe we're not that far away from. Uh, I mean, a friend buys you a ticket or a family member buys you a ticket and you go in if it's not your name on the credit card. You know, I don't know. I don't know how they enforce it, but that is what they have announced. And not just in Utah, but in other NBA cities and states as well. And we'll get to that now. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. 
Giannis against Adebayo. Back to the basket. Giannis turning, shooting, shot good on the baseline, fade away. Here he goes one-on-one with his former teammate. Jay Crowder pushing, he turns on him. LeBron reverse lap is good. The King. Wow. Monte Morris looking to win game number three for Denver. Missed it. Rebound Jokic, put her back up and in. There's the tip-in right at the end as the Nuggets nearly gave away an enormous lead in the last couple minutes. Desperation threes, PK, when you got to let them fly. Damian Lillard was cold until he hit a couple late, and McCollum hit one, and suddenly it's a three-point game, and the Nuggets are at the line, and Monty Morris has two chances to make it a four-point game with about three or four seconds left. He misses the first. He misses the second. Rick Majerus quotes are flowing around in my mind. It's hard to make free throws when your butt is tight. And they didn't have their bigs in the game. They had no Nurkic, no Canner to get the rebound. And so uh, Covington just gets pushed under the hoop by Jokic, which Jokic has probably got 50 pounds on him. And Jokic tips it up twice and finally tips it in, and that's the ball game. Now, that was a big play in your mind, huh? You just broke it down. That was a big play. They had a chance to run up court and hit a shot and go to OT, but they couldn't get the ball. Jokic controlled it, and that was that. How about he Rivers finishes with 36 points. points? Yeah, 36 points and 11 rebounds for him in that one, and uh, five of 16 shooting from beyond the arc for Lillard. Yeah, I thought Austin Rivers with the 16 points, four threes in the final six minutes, and all that stuff. I mean, they're starting a backcourt that they weren't starting. And Rivers wasn't even on the team till about five, six yeah. weeks ago. Yep. And it's really something to see them win. Good, good for them. Lakers are up two to one, just as Denver is up two to one. Lakers win 109-95. They beat the Suns. LA's first playoff win in the Staples Center in nine years. Anthony Davis, 34 points, 11 rebounds. No plays to break down here, PK. If I have a memory of this game, it'll be a picture of Chris Paul's face as he sat on the bench in the third quarter looking real sad. Like, I know how this is going to turn out, and I'm going to hate it. But now I have to sit here for 45 minutes while it all plays out. And it did. Yeah, they just don't have enough firepower without him 100%. And that's that. There it is. Uh, the other game, the Bucks annihilating the Heat, the Heat, one thirteen to eighty four. Miami took the first game to overtime, but man, these last two games have been all Milwaukee, and they are now up three zero in that series. I like their chances. <laughs> you should. Uh, Knicks and Hawks, five o'clock today. They are tied one one. That game's on ESPN. And then as we enter into the holiday weekend, ABC primetime. Brooklyn and Boston at 6.30 with the Nets up 2-0. And then ESPN's got the late game, 7.30 our time. It's the Clippers and the Mavs. Dallas back home after winning twice in L.A. They are up 2-0 and a chance to go up 3-0 on ESPN. I'm thinking you like their chances. Yeah, I'm not going to rule out the Clippers, though. And if they lose tonight, I'm going to. I'm interested to see what they do. Uh, Ty Lue pulled the Jerry Sloan. You know, let's see what these guys, what we're made of now. So, uh, uh, for a 2-0, it's going to sound doesn't make any sense, but I, I, I think the Clippers are okay to an extent because I think they're capable of winning. Now, they haven't, 
And if they don't, then they're certainly done at 3-0. So I want to see this game first. I think it has an opportunity to be a pretty good game. That's sort of what I feel, and, but whatever that means. <laughs> uh, I think with Ty Lue, you know, he's on to something here. It doesn't seem, based on talent, that these games should look and the series should look the way it is. But when you watch the game, you can see, and again, this doesn't make sense. Don't take it too literally. But you can see that the Clippers have a pulse. And you, or excuse me, you can see the Mavericks have a pulse, and they're out there fighting and battling and the normal kind of uh, body language and emotion of a playoff. And then you see the Clippers, and they're just kind of out there cruising up and down the floor in the first couple games, and that's not working for them. They need a pulse. And then back to the fans. The fan who dumped popcorn on Russell Westbrook in Philadelphia has been banned indefinitely from the Wells Fargo Center. Had his season tickets uh, revoked. A fan in New York who spit on Trey Young has been banned indefinitely from Madison Square Garden. So more fan incidences and similar reaction from uh, ownership that we saw in Utah, we see in Philadelphia, and in New York. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. It's not a ton different as far as just the size and the feel. You know, there's not a lot of traffic in New Jersey. You know, it's a calm place. Obviously, there's a there's a different look to this city. You know, it's very green, trees everywhere, and uh, Utah is definitely not like that. You know, there's definitely some aggressive drivers here, that's for sure. Uh, getting used to that, you know, getting cut off about every everywhere you go. You know, I feel like I'm at home. I don't feel homesick. I don't feel like I'm, you know, missing anything or, you know, I'm having a blast. And I think, you know, the coaches and the players just make it easy to fit in and, and get going with everything. That's Zach Wilson explaining how he's settling into life in New Jersey. He's getting cut off, PK. How's it driving in Jersey? Well, sure, man. Don't get out of my way. I got somewhere to go. Of course you're going to get cut off. It's no big deal, but it's very green. See, idiots who call it a dump and think it's all industrial. You just don't know unless you've been in the heart of 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 Jersey. It's called the Garden State. And, I mean, it's... I'm surprised he didn't just say, this is paradise. (laughs) All right. uh, Also, we've got uh, Julio Jones reports from ESPN. The Falcons have been offered a first-round pick. Well, then take it and trade him. Or are they just trying to uh, turn this into an auction, desperately creating a market for him? We can let that play out. Well, yeah, let it play out. I agree. There's no big sense of urgency right now. We're still in May. Let's see when we get into late July or something. New England Patriots rookie quarterback Mac Jones has been making a favorable impression on his teammates at the OTAs. Wide receiver Kendrick Bourne said of Jones, he has a swag to him I didn't know he had at first. He's out there confident, and that's what you need in a quarterback. Good energy, awesome guy, comes to work, and you just feel his energy and leadership already. And I'm a wide receiver. I'd like the ball. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, well, I think he's establishing a born identity. Oh, nice. <laughs> Golf clap for That's, that one. Those, those movies are total comfort food. You know, you're watching a game, and it goes to break, and you just flip around to see whatever's on, and you can just slide right into a born movie wherever. Well, and also, too, I like those movies. Give me car chases and stuff being blown up. It's all fantasy. It's not real. I don't want that in real life. But in the movies, give me that stuff over the rom-coms. I enjoy them. I can never follow the storyline, but it doesn't matter. 
All I'm looking <laughs> forward to is the next little adrenaline rush. And occasionally oh, yeah. I ask my wife, what's the plot here? Because I, I just don't have the attention span anymore, so I can't follow them. But I love the James Bond things and the uh, Tom Cruises and this one. Who's that? Who's the Damon? Is he the guy who does that? Matt All Damon that plays Jason Bourne. Yeah. Uh, to me, th- those are great movies. They're they're high quality entertainment over some stupid sappy love story any day a week. All you got to know about Bourne is he used to kill people, and now they want to kill him. That's the plot. There it is. Now he's a good yeah. guy. He wouldn't kill people like that anymore, unless you make him. In which case, you know, he'll drop you in three seconds flat. Oh, that sounds life and like life in Jersey. <laughs> DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. You got to give it to football, whether it's the NFL or college football. They get a a lot of mileage out of announcing first schedules and then kickoff times. Guess what? Every time they announce kickoff times for teams here, there's a whole lot of 830 kickoffs. Who knew? Late night TV programming. Fourth. Fourth time slot of the day. BYU's first three games of the season will be late night kicks with Arizona, Utah, and Arizona State. They're all scheduled for 8.15 or 8.30 on ESPN. The Utes did get an 8.30 game with Stanford, and they got a 5 o'clock game with San Diego State. CBS Sports Network has Mountain West doubleheaders because they don't have as many properties, so they tend to have Mountain West games at uh, at 5 and 8 and uh that won't actually be in a Mountain West stadium because San Diego State's building a new stadium, but uh, they'll, they'll go to the soccer stadium in Carson and play there in front of nearly nobody. So, one 5 o'clock game and a lot of late-night games. That's, that's what we're finding out for the uh, local teams. Well, that's the way of the world. Yep. That is what it is. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Diaz 0-1. Bradley, a drive, deep right. Myers back on it at the track. He looks up. It's off the wall. It's going to be extra bases for Bradley. And the Brewers will win in 10 this afternoon. Baez bounces one to third. Picked by Gonzalez. The long toss. It pulls the man off the bag. And Baez trying to stay in a rundown long enough. And now sliding in the plate is safe. I don't believe this. The Cubs just got a run on an amazing play by Javier Baez. Baez is going to go to second base now as the throw gets away. He slides at second. He's safe. The ball bounces away again. The Cubs have scored an unbelievable run on a play by Baez. Well, that was a bizarro day of baseball headlines. The play you just heard there, PK, it's a chopper to first. All you got to do is step on the bag. There's no reason to tag him. Or, I mean, the throw wasn't right on target, so if it's easier to tag him, fine. But if he's going to back up to home plate, just step on the bag, look the runner at third back, and we're done. Instead, a brain fart and two throwing errors, and it's the equivalent of an RBI double. That was not impressive. That was brutal. Yeah, chopper to third, not first, but, uh, yeah. You're right, chopper to third, throw across the diamond. I don't understand what was going on there. (laughs) That was was Little League-esque. Right. You really don't expect a fifth grader to make that mistake. And yet, there it is in the bigs. Uh, And then the other bizarro thing, Shohei Otane uh, scheduled to start as a pitcher. They had to start him as a DH. 
He got caught in traffic. You think it was the 55 or the 57 or the 91 that was out of hand? What do you think was going on there? Oh, it was in the Bay Area. No, it was in the Bay Area. It was BART. It was an away game. Oh, okay. It was a team bus, I think, is uh, part of the problem. And then they went on BART and the the exchange. You know, you get off one, you get on the other. That ended up being uh, delayed and all that stuff. So he arrived at the ballpark, what they felt was too late. Uh, for a starting pitcher. So they, I heard they bumped him back to today. I also heard that they bumped him back till tomorrow. I'm not sure. You know, we had a lot of uh, NBA injury talk, and there's been a lot of talk about what is going on, and are they playing too many games too close together, and there have been a lot of stars. But it does seem like in this segment every morning we're reading about a lot of baseball injuries. Have you seen any numbers on whether this is more than usual or it's uh, the Mets are shutting down Syndergaard? Uh, Nick Senzel for the uh, Reds is having knee surgery. He's played center field and third base for him. Uh, it, it seems like there is just uh, nonstop injury news. Uh, I know they feel like I've, I was watching Baseball Network on pitching because of kids pitching so much so early. By the time they get in their mid-20s, early 20s, there's a lot of wear and tear. And so they're going through Tommy John, and there's a bunch of that stuff. I don't know about position players. Yeah. Uh, also, you heard the highlights in there. The Brewers beating the Padres 6-5. to five. Jackie Bradley Jr. is the hero. Two out in the 10th. He drives in the game winner. And Max Muncy homering in the 6th. That's the difference, difference as the Dodgers beat the Giants 4-3. to three. B saw their four-game win streak snapped, a 4-2 loss to Round Rock last night. Game two tonight, 6-30. Game scheduled through Tuesday. Get your tickets at slbs.com. They got matinees on Sunday and Monday with the holiday weekend. DJ and PK. Hashtag RSL. RSL will host Minnesota, Rio Tinto Stadium tomorrow night, 7.30. RSL beat them in the opener, 2-1. to one. This one will be a little different. Uh, Minnesota's starting goalkeeper was hurt and didn't play in the opener, so he's back. And they have uh, acquired two new players, two attackers, so they could have a different look here. They have really struggled to score goals, only five goals in six games. But after four straight losses, they've uh, Minnesota's won a couple, so playing a little better here, and they had a week off to get ready for this, so... RSL has never beaten Minnesota at home. They've never beaten them on the road until the last time they played. Uh, relatively new team, expansion team. So we'll see if RSL can handle them, and then there's an international break for a couple weeks. So there you go, RSL tomorrow night, 730. What is Trending brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There is no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up this morning, Jay Hill, Weaver State football coach, broadcasting live, Ogden Country Club. Blue skies, just a few clouds out there. Looks like a good day for golf. Temperature's about 60 right now. It's a little cool, PK, but heating up, and Jay Hill will stop by. Also, David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, at 9 o'clock right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Big Show Show. with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson.
Sam Amick of The Athletic. Let's start with what you saw in Game 2 and how the Jazz adjusted. They hit their threes, which is something that didn't happen in Game 1. Yet again, we get reminded that sometimes in the playoffs, you can't count on threes like you could during the regular season. That was fun to watch. Donovan, like, being on a shelf for more than a month and then obviously being disappointed and frustrated that he didn't get to play in Game 1. You didn't know any of that backstory, but then you watched the way he competed in that first quarter. Like, you probably could have guessed, man, there's something different going on with this guy. Like, he was on one, and it was fun to watch him try to check Dylan Brooks and send a message like, our big dog is back, and you can stop trying to bully us. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7, presented by Big O' Tires, the team you trust. On 97.5, 1280, The Zone, in the Zone Sports Network. Hot Takes of Toast is brought to you by Jerry Seiner Cadillac. Check out the bold new lineup at Jerry Seiner Cadillac. It's definitely not your grandpa's Cadillac. Question of the day. We got a two-parter. Jazz got a win on the road now. What are your yeah. worries? I what got them. Dressed about. You do? You got worries? Oh, uh, yeah. Regarding this game, for sure. Yeah. Carl says I they think live they were in... the very worries that I had. Go ahead. Uh, Carl says they live and die by the three no matter where they are. He is stressed about the shooting. Uh, that's on the list. I mean, but that's, that's no different for any game. I mean, I've talked to so many basketball coaches over the years, and that that's, keeps them up at night. They worry about, suppose all of our guys are cold. You know, even, even if you were doing to what we saw as traditional basketball over the years, where then, you know, the threes is a relatively new phenomenon, obviously, but still coaches worried about guys not making shots, open shots, whether in, in the old days they were two-pointers, right? That's why you wanted a good low post game to get as close to the basket as you possibly could. But you're going to have to hit perimeter shots. Now it's extended. Uh, beyond the three-point line. So I think that's a legitimate worry, but I don't think that's a new worry. Jay says no more overlooking Memphis. The Grizzlies are for real. I wouldn't think that overlooking them in game three. You're 1-1 going to their home court for the first time. I get that you may have a letdown at some point, and I think that the Jazz players, well, Donovan certainly, has talked about uh, the letdown they had. They were up 3-1. They were up by 17. They thought it was over against the Nuggets in the, in the bubble. And they, they let them back in the series, and they never could close them out. So I guess that, uh, you know, off that experience, you wouldn't think that would happen. But I would think even without that experience, that shouldn't be the thing to worry about in Game 3. I don't think that it was anything to worry about at any point. I believe that they felt Memphis was a legitimate team before the series even started because I certainly felt that. So you may have some lulls within a game, but overall, no. I think they have a deep respect for Memphis. Memphis is an emerging team. You know, They're not where they're going to be probably if things anticipate like we – they go like we anticipate – but right now they're a good team, and in a couple of years probably stand to be better. So I don't think it's that. I, I really don't see where they're thinking, oh, wow, well, we're one, they're eight, so we got this. I, I just don't see that. Ben says, my worry is the Jazz won't win on the road. Way to keep it simple, Ben, and get right to the point. Who cares how they win? Well, nobody cares at this point. All you got to do is find a way to get the job done, whatever that entails. So, yeah, uh, 
shoot for one. If you get one, shoot for two. Uh, and probably you would you have no choice but to accept whatever's coming your way. Uh, being down 3-1 isn't the end of the world, but obviously the task gets a lot more difficult. Uh, you, you have to find a way. You know, you play the psychological game. If you're down 3-1, well, uh, you know, we, we win game five, and that puts enormous pressure on the Grizzlies because they don't want any part of game seven in Salt Lake City, blah, 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 blah. So we've all heard that storyline played a thousand times. Every time it surfaces, uh, we hear that. If the team's at 3-1, particularly if the, the team that's in the disadvantage has the home court in game seven, we hear that stuff. Uh, but, you know, obviously they would prefer 3-1 their favor, and they could live with 2-2. I think to me specifically, my biggest fear – uh, for the Jazz perspective, is that these guys looking at Memphis, is there three scores that we've seen emerge so far, Valanciunas, Morant, and Brooks, combined, the three of them go for 80 or more points? Combined for 80? Yeah. So obviously when Morant gets to 47, 80 gets within reach. Um, yes. <laughs> they can all certainly go for 20, but to your point, if they all go for 20 and they're held to 60, do the Grizzlies have enough on their bench given how the Jazz score the ball? And I see where you're going with that. So it gets into that kind of gray area. Okay, if they, if they all average about 25, you're at 75, do they have enough juice then? At 80, you're definitely in trouble because you're figuring this guy's going to have six, that guy's going to have eight, you know, everybody will chip in. Right. So that's my concern. So two thirties and a twenty, or John Moran for forty and twenty for the other guys. You're right, right, and it's all possible combinations. Uh, John Morant sixty-five and the others. Uh... <laughs> John Morant, <laughs> the modern-day MJ, if he does that. <laughs> no, George Mike, and we already said that yesterday. Oh, yeah, point. right. That's, that's the guy he's chasing. <laughs> so I assume you've done the math on this in previous games. Uh, so the three of them combined for 88 with Jaw going for 47. I mean, that, right. that bench scoring, that, that bench scoring was really 43 to 14 in game two. Uh, decisive. <laughs> game-winning advantage for the Jazz right there. Uh, Correct. But that's your point. The big three for them really have to go off because it just doesn't look like they got the firepower from the other guys to really – I mean, in any one game anything can happen, but they got to win three more. And their bench only went for 19 points in game one. Yes. It's clear as we've watched this series develop through only two games – that we were joking about it yesterday with Craig Bullerjack that the Jazz have more better players, right? So we were having fun with that expression because obviously they're much deeper, and that's an area Memphis is going to have to shore up as they try to get better, and I'm sure they know that as well as anybody, that they've got some players, and Moran is a rising star. There's no doubt about that. Brooks is you've really got to tip your cap to Brooks, man. He's been solid. There's no doubt. Even even through the foul trouble that he had, he still managed to make himself a factor. He's an emotional dude. Players feed off of him. So, you know, he's what type. We talked about this. You know, you hate him on the other team, but you love him on your team. 
and the guy's got something to say and all that stuff. That's great. If that's what it takes for him to play well, so be it. Other guys are church mouses out there. Uh, some guys in a combination thereof, whatever it might be. Uh, so do your thing, whatever you need to do to make yourself a factor. And so far, Brooks has made himself a significant factor. And Valanciunas just has so much size. I mean, he's just huge beast of a man and uses his body and he's got skill you can see why combination of skill combined with that size why he's a starting center in this league and has been for a number of years so i look at the jazz can certainly outscore you but if those three are combining for 80 or more it really puts the pressure on to make sure the jazz are at the top of their game offensively and in game two they were at the top of their game offensively what did that set a record for most points scored in a, a regulation game in the postseason did somebody say that i can't remember i think bowler uh, said it was a jazz record it was the highest scoring right. jazz well, that's what i meant game. that's what i meant yeah, i didn't mean an nba record i meant yeah, i meant jazz I meant jazz record, right? So they were at their peak offensively, and they won fairly comfortably. All 48 minutes wasn't comfortable, but you know they, they did win fairly comfortably, so that, that's a positive sign. But you, know, you look at it, and you expect, okay, can Memphis recreate what they did offensively? That's ah, going to be tough. At the same time, can the jazz recreate what they did offensively? It's going to be tough, but the point is you don't necessarily need to do that to win the ball game. No, for the Jazz, 120 ought to be the winning number. 141 is off the charts. Yeah. I mean, we, we talk about we just don't want everyone to go cold at once, right? Well, everyone kind of went cold at once in game one. But, as Matt Harpering so eloquently put it, and I'm grateful he did, the law of numbers held true in game two. How often are the Jazz going to shoot that poorly? Well, everybody was on. They had seven guys in double figures. And Donovan came back and didn't miss a beat. So he got his 25, and he's 5 of 10 from 3. So I would expect something where maybe, you know, some guys are on and some guys are off from 3. That would seem more normal than to have really the whole team go cold in Game 1 and the whole team heat up in Game 2. But that, nonetheless, is how it played out. I mean, I see where you're going with the whole 80-point thing. The weird thing is when Memphis got 88 from the Big 3, they lost, and when they got 72 from their Big 3, they won. Although, the longer the series goes, the more I think that number you throw out there ought to be kind of a general guiding principle of like how this goes for the Grizzlies. Uh, yes, exactly. Yes, uh, well said there. I do think that 72 mitigated by the fact that uh, Jazz's best weapon offensively wasn't in the ball game. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter now, but he plays. I think they're up 2-0. Uh, but th- who cares about that? It didn't happen, and they're not up 2-0. So I think I just look at how how is Memphis going to beat the Jazz? The Jazz could lose, and Memphis doesn't beat them in a sense. They beat themselves because they can't make a shot from three. They shoot like in the teens or 20s percentile. They turn the ball over a bunch. And that a lot of that would be on themselves. The good thing for me as I view this now that we're down to Memphis, even though we're still in Memphis, it's a road game, I think it's the Jazz's game to win. And if they play like they're capable of, they're simply better than Memphis. So they will win. So I sort of look at it, if the Jazz stumble, it's going to be largely on them, 
Memphis has some players. They just don't have enough quality players to match the Jazz, but they do have some sensational players. There's no doubt about that. If the Jazz aren't at their game, they could very well lose, but I feel very confident that if the Jazz are at the level that we expect them to be, they'll win. Yeah, I think so. If the Jazz bring their A game, they're the better team, and I I think the depth certainly. You know, and I did say earlier, and I want to take this back a little bit, but but it's kind of this player's nature. You know, everybody was on. Nobody was on in game one. Everybody was on in game two. Well, Clarkson was one of six from three, so everybody right. wasn't on. But also I think we all view him as more a scorer than a shooter. Uh, he can shoot it, and he does have games where he just lights it up from three. But even when he doesn't, we think he can score, and he can get to the line, and we all know he goes into the paint, and he zigs and he zags, and somehow he finds the, the, the little bit of space that is available and you know flips in some shot from four feet. That's not a surprise at all. He's done it too many times. And he did it in that game. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't a shooter in game two, but he was a scorer. He got his seven free throws and made them all, and... Right. Got plenty of two-pointers and gets into the paint and does his thing. I wouldn't worry so much about his three-point shooting because I also think, too, he understands the nature of the game, and early they're up with a fairly comfortable lead, so maybe the possession isn't as quite uh, crucial, and you don't necessarily need a bucket right now. So maybe he puts up a three that if it's a one-point game, late in the fourth quarter. Maybe he doesn't put up that three. Maybe he finds a way to get to the bucket, and the guy maneuvers, his head is spinning. Sometimes I get my eyes get tired of watching him because he fakes here, he fakes there. He's got all these moves that he does. He's like out on the dance floor. He's the modern day. Uh, who was that? What was uh, John Travolta was his name what, in the dance movie way back when. Uh, he had all the moves, right? So Clarkson... Uh, he didn't shoot the ball well from three, so be it. I mean, that's that, that doesn't really worry me that much. Jeff says, health of the players. That's the only thing I'm worried about. Other than that, nothing. As Stephen A. Smith said, it's going to take divine intervention for the Grizzlies to win if the Jazz are healthy. And those are my thoughts exactly. So Jeff and Stephen A. Smith, divine intervention. Well, By the way, that's yeah. divine D-E like Dan Divine. How about that? Oh, rather than D, divine, D-I? D-I, uh, the way it's sure. actually spelled. Yeah. Well, I think it's it's safe to say we have God on our side. There it is. We'll leave it right there. When we come back, question of the day, part D. Jazz fans, band, here we go again. We'll get to that next. Stay with us. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by ARUP. ARUP needs your help. They need you to donate blood before a long weekend. You can join Hans and Scotty. Today, 10 to 2 at ARUP, 9786 South, 500 West in Sandy. Come save a life and donate some blood. You will receive a gift card and Utah Jazz gear 
for your donation. Question of the day, part two. Here we go again. More jazz fans banned for their behavior, their language, for crossing the line, going beyond heckling, getting into it with John Morant's dad. Scott says it's horrible, but let's not go. Here we go again. Boston, Philly, and New York all had incidents this week. Stupid people all over. I'm glad they were all banned. Okay, that is here we go again, though. People have been banned before for saying stuff before. Yeah, I don't think this – I think it's ridiculous to say, oh, this is Utah. To me, uh, that's stereotyping. Oh, and let's call it like it is. Oh, the Mormons. We wouldn't do that with most other groups, but somehow we feel comfortable to do it here. And there's 14,000 people in the arena, and three or four people are being ridiculous. Well, it's it's not everyone. Most most common good folk are just appalled by this behavior. So when I say here we go again, I'm not saying it specifically to any uh, state or city or whatnot. And I realize some have worse reputations than others and maybe to agree that reputation is earned i don't know i don't understand all these things here but i think that from the league perspective you know have it and maybe they do to some as you're walking in the arena have signs have stuff being posted out there have announcements being made uh and do studies how much of it is because we're selling liquor alcohol it's is maybe none of it is i don't know I'm not sure. I don't have any answers, but I would like to see some proactive stuff. And if you see, like, uh, players' families and know where they're sitting, you know, make sure that there's uh, tighter security over there or something along those lines or whatever it might be. Be aware, you know, like when the Lakers come to town, if they should play in a playoff, hopefully they do, and you see some people walking with Lakers gear and they're carrying, and there's two people, and they're carrying four beers apiece, and it's before the game. You keep an eye on that. Maybe that'll lead to something, and have that be there. And then, of course, have people, I think they already do this in most stadiums, if there's stuff around, you can text this number, and security will show up. You know what I mean? So That's pretty common already, now, I think. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Continue to do that stuff, and let's see if we can get rid of it. Well, you don't want to label people, but Jacob says, well, they're Utes. Is this unexpected? Uh, Okay, on this one, I don't know that I would joke around like that. The rivalry in all things, even this. I have no idea. Although Kevin says, or Aggies, or Cougars, or Wildcats, dot, 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 dot. Right, 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 right. But it's it's a bad look. It's a bad look for... Locally, it's a bad look. Regionally, uh, country-wise, and <clears throat> all this stuff, we gotta we gotta end it. We gotta get, you gotta get to the mindset of you're a fan, and you go to the game. You can boo or cheer, and then just don't do anything else. And then certainly don't get involved with anybody who is uh, sitting next to you or whatnot. Uh, but it continues to happen, and it is it is a small number, but the only acceptable number is zero. 
Yes, but I don't think we've seen the last of it. I think we'll be having this discussion again. Somebody will go and decide it's a good idea and they think it's uh, funny or they're angry and they feel like they have to let it out or I don't, I don't know what all their motivations are. I've never be been that why, angry at a sport. Why, why they go down this road. You see some people yelling at games, though, and you think you are super angry. <laughs> you are furious. Well, Sometimes they think they're funny, and yeah, there is that too. There are people who think that's they're why being I tell clever. You. Your wife thinks you're funny, and maybe your mother. That's it. You're not funny. So all you're doing is annoying the fan experience for the folks around you. Nobody comes to a game to hear, to hear you, you talk. <laughs> yeah. That let that sink in, people. Man. Right. I'm buying these tickets. I really hope there's someone within a row or two of me who is hilarious. Right, said, right. Uh, said no one ever. Right. <laughs> they, they, you, all you do is ruin it. Keep your mouth shut. You're not, I realize you're trying to look for separation in life, but you're not going to get it there. All you're going to do is spoil it for the folks around you. So sort of find a way to knock that off and <clears throat> just re- keep reinforcing the message from from the league standpoint and leagues because it's not particular to the NBA. The NBA their arenas are smaller, obviously, so they can be closer to the players and all that stuff. Yeah. So maybe it happens there. But we've seen it. Gosh, what was it a couple of weeks ago? The guy wearing a Padres jersey knocks out the Rockies fan. You see that one? Yeah, I, I did not, but I'm not surprised. We've seen yep. we've seen fan stuff. I'll look for it oh. right now. We've you seen did, fan oh stuff yeah before. yeah. He no, walks it's, across. It's it's a matinee in Colorado. He walks down the aisle, punches the guy right, and the guy is knocked out. The guy's wearing a Padre jersey who does the punching. You know, what? what where, how do we get to even that point? <laughs> what is going on? Yeah, in the middle of the day, no less. It's the most ridiculous thing. Yeah, oh, it's out there. You can see it. It's actually gruesome to watch. Because the guy gets wobbly and then falls down. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, what is your deal? I'm going to go to the ballpark and get in a brawl? Yeah. Yeah. I can't even imagine that. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We got Brad on the phone. He wants to weigh in. Brad, good morning. What's up, guys? How you doing? Good. Good, Brad. What's going on? So, here we go again. The fans are getting a little crazy, but man alive, I would love to be in New York. Those fans are the craziest fans in the NBA. I feel the atmosphere just watching it in my living room. I see Spike Lee dancing and all that. I'm so excited for the Knicks this year. I think the Knicks would be. I just love the Knicks. You know, I don't get that. I don't. I don't get that at all, Brad. I've been watching it, and everything. Boy, when the gardens like this, it's just magical. Well, if you're from there and you have memories from ten or twenty or thirty years earlier, but I've been to games in multiple NBA cities, and they're all loud, and all the fan bases are so into it. I've been to a Lakers Warriors game in Oakland. You got Spike Lee. Spike Lee, Spike Lee. <laughs> People can't go crazy without Spike Lee. Yes, baby. You I mean, he's a celebrity going nuts, so there's that. <laughs> well, by the way, PK, your sons are going down, big guy. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> 
When did you buy 60% of the Suns and not tell me? Is that it? Sarver could never get it right, but you secretly bought the team, and that is why things have turned around. Sarver's out of the picture. Yes, Way to go, PK. I, uh, I, I negotiated the deal to uh, get Chris Paul into town uh, and re-signed Devin Booker. Uh, yeah. Actually, Spike Lee dancing, great. Dancing. Dancing at a sporting event is good. <laughs> Now you're going to go old school dancing Barry back in your days at the uh, uh, at the Daily was, Breeze. I wasn't thinking of that, but <laughs> that that's guy, harmless. What I'm talking about, that's harmless activity. Yes, exactly. It's fun. No, nobody's going to get kicked out. No player is going to be furious. Nobody's family has to hear anything. Dance right. away. Knock yourself out. Yes, yes. So feel free to dance. And there, I... I know that it's hard to explain, and I'm and I didn't really grow up a Knicks fan. I grew up, oh, I grew up a Knicks fan in terms of following them, because they were the team that will, people always talked about when I was a kid. You know, living thirty miles away from the arena, Madison Square Garden is super cool, and uh, there is something about the Knicks and Knicks fans. But I experienced that. I told you over Christmas break one year, I got tickets. Somebody gave me t- gave us tickets. We were going to a matinee, and I went to the dentist, and I was so excited that the dentist, the dental assistant, stuck her hand down my mouth to do some dental work, and I oh. threw up on her. her I threw oh. up on her arm. Yeah. I literally, I was so excited to go to the game that day. I was so <laughs> fired up, and the dental assistant that I threw up on was my sister. Oh, man. All right, on that horrible note, let's leave it right there. <laughs> DJ and PK live from the Ogden Country Club. You can hear a little noise in the background, a lot of the Wildcat fans and staff, and uh, they're showing up right now, fundraising golf tournament. Uh, football coach Jay Hill expected to join us coming up in the next hour. David Locke's going to be here to talk playoffs at 9 o'clock. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. JMPK brought to you in part by Zero Res. When you get the carpets clean, get them Zero Res clean. Don't have it any other way. Just $33 per room clean. You deserve the best. You deserve Zero Res. Schedule with Zero Res today at 801-288-9376. Or schedule online by searching for Zero Res Carpet Cleaning. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're broadcasting live from the Ogden Country Club Chamber of Commerce Weather. Blue skies, temperatures in the low 60s right now. It'll heat up later today. Of course, all this was orchestrated by Jay Hill. He does, he does control a lot of things here in Ogden, including the weather for Weber State Golf Tournaments. Coach, good morning. That's a pretty amazing deal, huh, to control everything and the weather. <laughs> nice. You are powerful. Yeah. I like it. It is a beautiful day today. Good day for golf. So, I am curious here, uh, you were, as you sat down here, you were chatting a little bit about injuries, which is a topic we were talking about earlier. You know, there is a lot being made in the NBA playoffs of how many stars are injured. And a lot of people want to put it on, well, they're playing so many games in such a tight period. The best teams like the Lakers had a short turnaround from the end of the playoffs last year. And I brought it up with PK this morning. It seems like every day we do the uh, what is trending. And in baseball, what is trending is injuries. Mm-hmm. Syndergaard just got shut down. And somebody else is out for six weeks. And it's just nonstop. And then you sit down and said, getting guys ready for a spring season in the winter was tricky. And you think that might have been a contributing factor to some injuries. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because we, 
When when we let our players go for Thanksgiving, so this was November 24th when we let them go, I couldn't even see them again until January 11th. Couldn't couldn't do any workouts, no nothing till January 11th, and then we got to be ready to start what was spring camp January 29th, full practices mm-hmm. going. Tw- and and that's you don't even have three weeks to get your guys in shape, get them ready to go, and so. Uh, it did. It mounted for us. It's mounting right now in the professional sports. It, it was such a weird year. I'm, I'm hoping we're back to normal come fall. So, so you played your six games, Jay, and now you got 97 days before you line up against the Utes. Is this off season, however long it takes before you get back together, is it going to be any different compared to the n- normal off season that you would usually have? Well, right now, no. Uh, I, I think as much as possible, we're trying to make this as similar as a normal summer as possible. Um, I actually just left a morning workout this morning, so our players are back on campus right now. They're working out. They're running and lifting. Um, I'm hoping that we are completely back to normal for the rest of this summer and then fall camp. So do you think that the there is something to the – Everything you do over the course of not just the season of the camp, but the three, four, five, six, seven months leading up to it are all critical to be able to get through the season healthy. Absolutely. The, the year, the calendar is now a full year, and it's, it's a process to get these guys healthy and ready to play and get them banged enough to where they're used to the contact because if you go out there and you just you don't practice you can't keep them healthy if you don't bang you can't keep them healthy because the body has to get used to that so there's got to be enough banging that that you can keep them healthy but not so much that you're creating injuries from the practice and that's a new deal the ncaa just came out with the new practice schedule for fall camp that's drastically reducing the number of days that we can be in full pads and can have full contact yeah, I saw that. So are you comfortable with that? Uh, no, I think most coaches voted against it because we would like to have a little bit more freedom on how we're going to do that ourselves within our programs. And the NCA is restricting, you know, a lot of those contact days. I don't think it's far off of what we normally would do, but now we have seven days mandatory and helmets only where before you only had three. And, I mean, th- th- there's some big differences now that are occurring in – you know how we can practice and how much we can hit uh, i would rather be able to just gauge my own team on where we're at and and not have the rules so strict you know i know when uh we had you on before your spring season started we started doing the math and i forget what it was but you had it like we could play 25 games in the next 50 weeks or something now ultimately it doesn't work out that way because of how far you progress in the playoffs because you didn't play the regular season game with cal poly they shut their season down so do you think these games that were played in the spring are going to be too much when you add the games in the fall on it or was the spring season short enough it's going to be okay. Uh, it's going to be okay. Yeah, there's no way we can use that as an excuse. The only thing that came about was you have a few injuries. Like we had a knee injury on our last regular season game in the spring. We're not going to have that kid back till midseason. Where had you not played that season, who knows, maybe he doesn't get hurt. Maybe he would have got hurt in the spring game. You never know. I mean, it, but the timing of that would have been no different than if we had a spring game. We finished one week later than like the University of Utah who went through a normal spring practice. It wasn't that much different. 
How do you think the one-time transfer rule is going to affect your level of football? You know, that's uh, an interesting question. I don't know. Uh, I think there will be some players with opportunities to move up and some players to move on, but I don't think it's going to be drastic. Last year there were 99 FCS players that got taken by FBS programs. 25 of those guys end up being full-time starters is all, and 46 of them never saw the field of the 99. And so I don't think you're going to see an enormous trend of our guys bumping up bouncing around I, I just I don't believe that um, but you never know so as a coach I hear you quote those numbers and I just feel Jay like you've had to have that conversation with a parent or a high school coach or the kid himself and so you prepped and you got all the info but I wonder how many how much of this is driven by specific conversations and how much all this is driven by a bigger more kind of general feeling on the part of a player or his parents or the, co- the high school coach, whoever's advising him? Well, I think it's all of our fears in today's world that if things aren't working out, you just you move. You, you find a new job. You go do something different. Things aren't working out, going exactly the way you had planned, so you move on. And unfortunately, that's trickling down to the players. If things aren't going exactly their way as a freshman or a sophomore, they're wanting to move on. Flip, when I was playing in college football – very few players played early in their careers like that as freshmen and sophomores. You had to go into a program and work and claw and dig and earn your playing time. You weren't just given it. And now these kids, at the first sign of trouble, a lot of them are wanting to leave and get re-recruited because they like being recruited. And uh, I just don't think that that's the process for success. If you look across the country, how many of these transfers are truly going to the next school and playing a lot better than at the school they were at. Uh, I just don't see that. You know, for a couple elite quarterbacks like the Justin Fields and a couple of those guys that have done it, I mean, everybody knew that those guys were good enough. Uh, But it's not working out that way for the majority of them, in my opinion. Okay, so you talk about maybe from your level, kids won't go up, so to speak, to the perceived higher level of football. I'm also wondering, sometimes your level gets kids who come down but now with the free transfer how do you think the flow of that will be because now they don't necessarily have to come down where they could be immediately eligible to play at your level they could stay at their level that they were originally recruited to do you see where i'm going with that yep no pk you're very smart on this subject because that's what's going to affect us much more That's what's going to affect us much more is we used to get those transfers that could drop down to FCS and be immediately eligible. And so we'd get those kids with two years left that hadn't played yet in their FBS programs drop down and, you know, be pretty good players for us. Now my thought is the majority of those guys are going to try to move laterally first. And if they can't, then they'll come down to us. Um so I do think that that scenario is going to affect us much more. Now, we at Weber State were not a big transfer program. I wasn't taking a bunch of them. I've kind of always felt that the majority of the guys that are transferring are transferring for a reason. Either they weren't good enough, they're bringing some baggage, or something was going on. The majority of them. Now, sometimes you get a transfer and they're phenomenal, but uh, we, we just have not got into that market too much. Yuck, you got that cut up for a drop there? PK, you're very smart. I think Jay just set himself up right there. I know. I, I, I saw the I didn't reaction. hear what he said. Could, could you say that again, Jay? 
No, but really, I mean, that's the, you're, you're right. That's probably going to affect us more than, say, the other things we were talking about. Jay Hill joining us, Weber State football coach. We're at the Ogden Country Club, and they're getting ready to tee it up here, golf tournament to uh, raise some money, support the Wildcats, and get all the Wildcats together to have some fun and get the energy all revved up and pumped up. And Jay is grinning. We remember you last year. It was right there. Yeah. Gripping that driver and just smacking that ball 300 yards down the middle of the fairway. I can get lucky every once in a while. (laughs) (laughs) I I love this sport because it's so freaking hard, but I can't master it for some reason. So. It's because you're coaching too much and not playing enough golf. You're right. <laughs> we just right. cut to the chase. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> if you were golfing four days a week, you're on the uh, Lavelle schedule. Yeah. You know, you could change it. I, I wish I could do that. Someday, maybe. Someday. Yeah. So I'm curious how much your life is about to change here because we've heard coaches talking about, well, recruiting is so different in the pandemic. It's Everything's a Zoom. We've had to learn how to set up campus tours, uh, some taped, sometimes doing them live with coaches Football, you have a bigger staff. Basketball coaches, they got guys running all around campus with their phones and all that. But you're about to go old school and, and be allowed to go back out on the road. Well, and we need that. The, the, it, it's, it's what the high school seniors and the junior college players deserve and need. It's what we need as coaches to be able to get out and assess these players in person. That, that's such a critical part of recruiting. Like I, I've made it a rule on our staff, I will not take a quarterback on scholarship if I've not seen them throw in person. Like, I don't want to do that. So we need to be able to get out to their game. We need to be able to get out and watch them warm up for a game or into their spring practices or something because I don't want to take these quarterbacks without seeing them throw in person. It's, It's amazing how much you can be deceived by film or stats. And we need in our recruiting process to see these players live. You take any satisfaction that when you had Fessy Sataki, Weber State was the first one to recognize Zach Wilson's greatness? Absolutely we do. Yeah, I mean, Fessy had loved Zach from, uh, for a long time, and I had known Zach Wilson when he was coming to Utah football camps when he was six years old. And to watch that kid progress and become what he did was awesome. And then, you know, to have Fessy love him so much in high school and to see what he became um, – you know, that's, he's still probably my favorite quarterback I've ever seen in person live, you know, in the recruiting process. I loved him that day we had him in camp. So I'm curious, when did you look at him and see an NFL player? Because I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but you and Cougar fans, there might have been a little back and forth on yeah. him and BYU season. Well, and I, I get that. Um, and I think he's going to be a good pro. I really do because he's got, he's got arm talent, he's athletic, and, and he wants to be great. Uh, but, yeah, the day we had him in camp, this was going into his senior year. The day we had him in camp, there was no doubt in my mind that he was going to be a phenomenal player. Uh, and, and he showed all those things that particular day. Good, fast, clean release, good arm strength, mobility. He was athletic. Now, d- did we know at the time that he was going to be an NFL guy? Absolutely not. Anyone who says that they knew it at that point is lying to you. But he had all the tools to become that. Do you, have, you ever wonder in recruiting, and you obviously you give a strong endorsement on Zach Wilson, why sometimes people are under-recruited, why they're over-recruited? I mean, how does that work? Well, recruiting's not an exact science. We all know that. You're going to hit on some and you're going to miss on some. Um, even the best recruiters are right probably three out of four times, so that means they're missing one out of four, and that's the – 
really good ones. Um, but there's certain things that you're looking for, like we were in Zach Wilson and, and some of these other kids that some coaches see and some coaches don't see it as well as others. You know, that that particular year, I don't know exactly what was out there, but who knows, maybe everybody's looking for the the – big armed six four guy that Zach's not. Zach was probably a six one and a half, skinny, hundred and seventy five pounds in high school and they might have been looking for someone bigger. But we at our level have to look for those kind of bodies that are gonna grow into what they what he has become. How many Mountain West Conference talent level players do you think you were able to land at Weber State recruiting during the pandemic? Most of our class last year. I thought was Mountain West caliber. Uh, we were able to up the level of player um, that we that we did get. I just I just think those kids, especially the ones in the state of Utah, were top notch, big time guys. We signed a corner out of Texas that just ran ten five. Um, I mean, he's going to come to Weber State as one of the fastest guys we've ever had. It just elite level kids that didn't get signed last year that I think will be phenomenal players for us. Yeah, I was thinking like a kid like Noah Kerr, a corner, who I think led the country in receiving, and you're able to scoop him up. Yeah, Noah's going to be a great player. Spoke to him last night on the phone, and he just ran. He ran in the 10 sevens this year in track. And, I mean, the, the reality is the football in the state of Utah continues to get better, and a, a player like a Noah Kerr is going to come into our program and be a phenomenal player uh, because he's got what it takes to be great. He's tough hard worker and he's got great hands runs great routes has been coached since he was a little tyke from his dad i mean he's going to be a great player except his dad is sort of obnoxious isn't he (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well i can't say that because i got to recruit that school for many years to come (laughs) it's almost miraculous the way this happened but your football schedule on a flyer appeared in front of me shortly after you sat down uh that's that's crazy the way that works. Yeah, I'm looking at the schedule here, and the first thing I notice six road games, and you've got three of them are in state. You're going to SUU, you're going to Dixie State, and you got the opener Utah, obviously. Plus the Idaho State game, you got four bus trips. How much do you like a schedule when you don't get on airplanes? How valuable is that? Well, I actually like the bus trips. It's a great time for our players to be together. It's a great time to bond. Um, I really like the road trips. Now, you don't want to take the, you know, the 10-hour ones, but <laughs> these ones are awesome, and I like them. Um, but, you know, the, the part, part of the greatness of college football is travel, and I don't mind a couple bus trips. Four is the most we've ever taken, though. Yeah. If you need a little insight into Corner Canyon, you just let me know because I sleep with somebody who uh, teaches there. Okay, I can't wait, and uh, I need you to be just massaging Weber State with all those high-level kids there, <laughs> and her doing the same. Wear the purple. Wear the purple all the time. Yep, I there agree. All right, Will, Jay, we appreciate a few minutes. We know you have to go out there and just start lacing those 300-yard drives down the middle of the fairway. Make the magic happen. Can't wait. I'm going to go do it. All right. There See it is. You guys. Jay Hill, Weber State football coach, joining us here. We're at the Ogden Country Club. Weber State with their annual golf tournament, and uh, carts are all lined up. People are getting here, getting ready to go on a uh, fabulous, fabulous day. It was a little cloudy earlier this week, a little gray, but not today. Blue, sunshine, looks like an awesome day for golf. DJ and PK, more on the way. David Locke is here to talk NBA playoffs at 9 o'clock. 
97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Sam Amick of The Athletic. Let's start with what you saw in Game 2 and how the Jazz adjusted. They hit their threes, which is something that didn't happen in Game 1. Yet again, we get reminded that sometimes in the playoffs, you can't count on threes like you could during the regular season. That was fun to watch. Donovan, like being on a shelf for more than a month and then obviously being disappointed and frustrated that he didn't get to play in Game 1. If you didn't know any of that backstory, but then you watched the way he competed in that first quarter, like you probably could have guessed, man, there's something different going on with this guy. Like he was on one and it was fun to watch him try to check Dylan Brooks and send a message like our big dog is back and you can stop trying to bully us. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7 presented by Big O Tires the team you trust on 97.5 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK brought to you in part by Christian Roberts Mortgage. If you're going to work with an expert for your next home loan you need to connect with the most preferred lender in Utah. Christian Roberts Mortgage they specialize in jumbo loans. DJ and PK broadcasting live right now from the Ogden Country Club Weber State's golf tournament getting ready to get underway. Colton Swan joins us. Colton, you feeling a little red? You feeling a little purple? Yeah. What's going on here? I don't know. What is what when you mix red and purple? I don't know what you get right now, but I'm probably one of those colors. You get Colton Swan. Yeah, That's, right? what you get. Yeah, That's what exactly. you get. <laughs> so I want to know, Colton, how does a guy who goes to Weber State on a rodeo scholarship right. end up being the linebackers coach for University of Utah? Uh, you know what? I was so I grew up in that lifestyle, and um, I was fortunate enough to get a rodeo scholarship. I uh, had the opportunity to walk on at Weber State doing football, and in my mind, I had it mapped out. I was going to be able to do both. Um, uh, D. Pickett was kind of a guy. I don't know. He played uh, for Boise State a lot, and I kind of had him in mind, thinking I was going to do the same. And then I walked in in August in fall camp, and found out quickly how much time it took to to do football and I thought you know what there's no way I can do both especially if football's uh, the direction I want to go and right from there I just kind of devoted all my time towards football and and told rodeo you know what I'll visit you later just because I know in rodeo there's a lot of professional things that you can do you know after you get done playing football so I kind of set that aside and and, uh, that was my mindset kind of going into the whole deal coming out of high school. So before we get to the football, I'm curious, having grown up in rural San Diego County, people don't know yeah. that. Is, yeah. Nobody goes where I grew up. Uh-huh. But, but I was in 4-H, and I was at the Lakeside Fair, and I was – so I didn't do rodeo, but I knew people who did, and I watched it. What part of it do you love? What part of it do you hate? You like to ride the Buck and Bronx. You yeah. like to. Were you the one who was you uh, mutton busting when you were three years old because <laughs> the parents got you started with that? How yeah, did that work? That's that's when your parents need entertainment. They put you on that on that lamb and and put you out there and you know laugh at you as you eat crap and stuff. So, yeah, growing up, that's what it was like. Um, you know, my probably my favorite events were all the timed events, calf roping, team roping, steer wrestling. That's what I kind of uh, specialized in. Um, I would say out of those three events, I was best at the steer wrestling. Uh, uh, people call it bulldogging or steer wrestling. And uh, I was probably best at that just maybe because of size and strength. Uh, really, to, to this day, though, however, I still compete in the team roping. It's a little easier on older guys. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's so fun, timed events, and uh, kind of stayed away from the rough stock a little bit. Uh, did it in, in my younger years, but uh, stayed away from it. So as a guy who walked on, you know, obviously you had to overcome some odds and, and have a whole lot of heart and stuff to be able to make it. 
Do you think that helps you in recruiting and identifying players that really will give you everything that they have? Yeah, I think that's yes. That's a really good question. Um, as we all know, recruiting is not a science. However, us as coaches and recruiters are trying to turn it into a science uh, with all the logistics and height and speed and you know all all the little things that you can measure. Um, but the one thing that's hard to measure is is the heart, and uh, I think that's really at the end of the day what makes a good player. Um, you know, if you can find the kid that has the size and the speed, and 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 then has the heart to go with it, that's when you're, you know, hitting home runs uh, in recruiting. Um, and and being that type of kid that I was coming through that progression, I think that really has helped me. Um, you know, I was just talking with another coach uh, earlier this morning, just on what it takes for recruiting and and the heart part of it is a really big um facet that you don't uh, take in a lot of people don't take in mind uh you know they look at at your size and height and speed and and uh, how many offers you have and stuff like that but they don't look at the motivation and the drive and the heart that the kid has and i think if you if you do uh, your homework and look at that then you can really knock it out with a with a good kid when Kevin O'Connor was running the Jazz, I remember him talking about going on the road for conference tournaments and the NCAA tournament, and he said, yeah, I can watch a lot of games on TV. He says, but they don't show you everything on TV. He says, mm-hmm. I want to see how a kid talks to his coach and how he goes to the scores table before he checks in. Mm-hmm. I want to see when he comes out, how he interacts with his teammates on the bench, what level of respect he has for assistant coaches right. and team managers on the bench. All that stuff matters. Are you watching all that when you're at high school games as kids? Like how they go on and off the field and yeah, interact? Yeah, 100%. Mannerisms, uh, big time. You know, are they when they're getting hard coaching, how are they responding to it? You know, are they smirking at, uh, you know, coaching? Are they, how are they handling situations when they're down, when they're up? You know, um, yeah, when things get tough, you look at all those little uh, facets and mannerisms that those kids possess, and, and that shows a lot of what they are internally. So who's the second best linebacker in a Pac-12? Because I think I know who you think the number one kid is. <laughs> I tell you what, I am very fortunate. I was talking with some scouts yesterday about my linebacking core, and, man, I am really, really fortunate with uh, the two kids that I've got right now, um, Devin Lloyd and Nephi Sewell. And to answer your question, hands down, uh, I think Nephi Sewell is – is right there uh, with Devin Lloyd, um, and I think they're the top two in the in the Pac-12. Um, so very fortunate as a coach, and I've got a lot of young kids coming in that are really good players as well. So the depth is awesome. So when Utah first went to the Pac-12, the D-line was pretty good and the secondary was pretty good, and everybody's like, what is wrong with linebackers? Why can't they put that together? Who wouldn't want to play behind that defensive line? Right. Now, you use that in recruiting. You maybe got some transfers that kind of helped you bridge that, and then you started recruiting younger guys, and you and now nobody ever says anything bad about Utah linebackers, and it's been that way for a while. Right. But I'm curious – how much you still deal when you're dealing with scouts because it's true they do get to play behind an elite D-line. Even when the second-string D-line comes in, they're playing behind elite guys who are going to end up in the NFL. So maybe they look a little better than they are. Mm. Are scouts worried about that, actually? No, I I, I think they are knowledgeable enough to know and look at – 
you know how well the kids move and how well they run um you know the, no doubt about it we've got a great defensive line that we uh play behind and and that is definitely a recruiting tactic as a linebacker you want to be as free as possible to scrape from sideline to sideline and make as many plays as possible so those de- defensive linemen you know they're occupying a lot of offensive linemen that we don't have to deal with um that you may ha- at a different school um so you know to, to answer the part about the scouts i just i think they kind of look at um you know how smart you are how well you know the defense how well you run you know we have to take on offensive linemen no doubt about it it's not it's not every play that uh, we're scot-free uh we play a hard-nosed type of linebacker type play we're very fast and physical we get downhill uh we led the conference in you know tfls and and so that tells you that you know we we trigger quickly uh on runs and um you know we're we defend the pass very well so uh you know the D line is is it is what it is, and it's amazing. It's nice to be behind. So mm-hmm. to you know to hear your point about you know recruiting, it definitely helps in that regard. Telling you, hey, you want to you want to come to Utah and, and be free and scrape and you know have a lot of tackles, and this is the spot for you. So for years in spring ball, Kyle used to have it just totally open. Media can come every practice, all practice, and if the weather was good, the fans could go up along the fence there. But obviously this past spring ball, everything was shut down. Nobody could see it. So we're longtime media members. We didn't see one second of spring ball, which is the first time since I've been here. So I didn't get to see Charlie Brewer at all. And I realize you're the linebacker coach and not a quarterback expert. But mm-hmm. could you tell us what you saw in him? I, I have a uh, great respect for Charlie Brewer. Uh, for him to come in, uh, it's, it was a different system they ran at Baylor. Uh, and that Coach Ludd runs at Utah. And so for him to come in and adapt to our system and to handle what he handled, I was uh, a really, really impressed. Great respect for him. Uh, he has all of the mechanics that you're looking for. Uh, he's, he's smart. His accuracy is great. He can spin the ball really, really well. Uh, he sees it. He gets the ball out quick. Um, so uh, I have a lot of respect for, for him and what he showed in the spring. Colton Swan joining us, linebacker coach at the University of Utah. I'm curious because there's rules on hitting and when quarterbacks can go live, but for any Ute fan or any local media member who has gone on YouTube and watched some clips of Jaquin and Jackson, I couldn't help but think of Eric Weddle running the Wildcat and thinking, we know how much guys transfer. We know guys want to be part of the team and feel like they're contributing. And I look at Jackson's high school tape and I think, he's going to run the Wildcat wow, yeah. this year. Do you see him as a – it's not your job to coach him, I know, but right. as a linebacker coach, you evaluate oh. running down quarterbacks. No doubt. You know when a quarterback <laughs> like him is in, and you've got to know that he can pull the ball at any minute, whether he's trying to pass it, he pulls it down and scrambles, or whether they have a designed QB run game. Uh, he definitely opens up a lot of different things. Um, and, you know, that's what makes a good offensive coordinator is taking a guy like him and finding ways to use him. Uh, and we all know that Coach Ludwig is, is the master at that. And so, you know, I would be, I would not be surprised if, if we – you know see him in those facets so recruiting colton is opening back up here in a few days how's it going to be for coaches in terms of balancing going out on the road but also kids taking official visits onto your campus 
Yeah, it's definitely going to be different. That's for sure. Uh, you know, we're opening things back up. Um, it'll be nice, you know, to get back out on the road and get some evaluations in and have kids actually come to campus. Uh, it'll be nice when that new stadium gets done to be able to show those kids that. Um, uh, we're really looking forward to it because we've just been neglected with, you know, not having these abilities to go out and, and look at kids. And so uh, it's nice that we can we can take this opportunity. Okay. How much are you going to miss that old locker room? <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to take a tour in the new facility no, there. No. Oh, my gosh. When you do, it'll blow you away. And when we took the tour, it you know was just in the works of it. And, oh, my goodness, wow, that's an amazing facility. That's going to help with recruiting and fan base and the energy in that stadium. It's unbelievable. So, really, at that point, that was the one thing that was lacking compared to uh, other your the teams that you're competing against because this arms race and facilities kids want new and shiny objects now so the point being for you as a coach with this stadium expanded and the locker room is going to be up to snuff we've been in the football facility and that's a one no doubt about that so basically the point being you guys as coaches pretty much have everything you need now to go out there is that accurate yeah no question no question you got to at the end of the day you got to win games uh, you have to win games. Kids want to be a part of a winning program, a winning tradition. That's what Utah's done over the years. Uh, they, we proved it uh, in how many wins we've had. And uh, but the the faci- facilities and everything that these kids have access to is is like you said, a one. Colton Swan joining us, Utah linebacker coach. We are very curious with the transfer portal, mm. what that is doing to team building. It is becoming so transactional. And it's not just a football thing. We're seeing it in basketball, too. And I'm wondering, everybody wants to play, but everybody also wants to be part of a team. Mm -hmm. But when everybody's coming and going, how do you build those relationships? When you're playing at Weber State and you're the walk-on, your teammates know your story. Mm -hmm. Who's this guy? Mm -hmm. Oh, rodeo guy. Is he really into football or not? How much film is this guy going to watch? How hard does he work in the weight room? Over time, they get to know you. How does that work now? It's definitely has changed. It's you bring up a great, great question, great point. It's the transfer portal, in my opinion, is as uh, made teams older. You know, it's maybe taken away a little bit from the high school kids uh, in all the direction that you want to go uh, as a team. Uh, maybe taken away from culture, like you talk about. You know, how does how do kids know you? You know, how do kids understand the culture? You know, as freshmen, you get that introduced right away, and those kids build it through their four or five years that they're there. But you know, you get a kid that's a senior, and he's already you know gotten his mind what he wants to do, and and he's coming in and looking for a starting spot, stuff like that. So there's a lot of different uh, things that go into that transfer portal. Uh, in my opinion, it's it's helped the kids um, find different spots to be able to play uh it's nice to have it where now they can one-time transfer without penalty and so um but it's it's definitely changed the dynamic in recruiting 100 percent. you just got to decide what you want to do as as a football team and as a coaching staff do we want to recruit from the transfer portal do we want to still take those high school kids um you know you can kind of look at it like the nfl you got the you got the draft that builds and and drives most of your team but then you got this um you know the the trades that you can do and, and kind of patch different uh, parts of your team to help you. So Kyle Woodingham comes off as a tough guy, but I think it's basically an act. How much have you seen the softer side of Coach Whittingham? 
I don't know if you see a softer side of Coach Whittingham. That's a, I don't know if you do, but he's, he's an amazing coach. Wow, I've been super, super impressed with my time being around him. I've learned a ton. Um, he's top-notch, uh, 100%. And, you know, I mean, everything that he has record-wise, his longevity, I mean, it all speaks for itself. He's just an amazing man and amazing coach, and, and I've learned a, a ton from him. But would you want him on your steer roping team? No. That, you know what I would take Coach Witt as? I would take Coach Witt as my bulldogging partner, my steer wrestling partner, because I don't know. He's in the 60s, low 60s somewhere age, and he freaking looks like he can tear the head off of a steer. <laughs> yeah, he's tough, tougher than Nels. I love it. He would just look at the steer and point oh, at it. Oh, yeah, and that steer would fall over. Steer would just tip over. Oh, yeah, he's, he's tough. Be like a golden retriever. <laughs> I tell you, I, you know what I would do for him that in steer wrestling? You got the actual steer wrestler that jumps off the horse. I would be the other guy that's what they call the hazer. I'd be the hazer that's yet running down and lining the steer out and yelling at the steer wrestler to get down and get, get tough, and, you know, I'm that guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, Colton, we appreciate a few minutes. Absolutely. Good luck in the golf tournament today. Go out there and crush it. Thank you. Thanks Colton's, for having me. Colton Swan, Utah linebackers coach, joining us here. We're at Weber State's golf tournament. He's a former Wildcat, a walk-on Weber State. Got a lot of Wildcat fans, a lot of purple out here now. Uh, as people get ready, they'll be teeing off in a few minutes. We've got David Locke joining us in a few minutes to talk NBA playoffs, Jazz and Memphis, Game 3, Saturday night. Stay with us. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK brought to you in part by ARUP. Join Hans and Scotty today from 10 to 2 at ARUP, 9786 South. 500 West and Sandy. Come on in, donate, save a life, donate some blood. You will receive a gift card and Utah Jazz gear for your donation. ARUP needs your help. They need a lot more blood on the long weekend. It's really critical now. So Hans and Scotty, today from 10 to 2 at ARUP, 9786 South, 500 West in Sandy. Well, PK, the question of the day looms in front of us. The Jazz, game three in Memphis. Jazz got a win on the road now. What are you worried about? What is stressing you out? And for Jazz fans, uh, and <laughs> says, hey, it's basketball playoffs. Seven-game series, the best team usually wins. The Jazz record means nothing in the playoffs so you don't play all 48 minutes. They know that. They've got the best record, so in the seven-game series then, they ought to be okay. Well, the best team doesn't win. The better team wins. So I'm on a mission to make sure my fellow Utahns learn proper grammar. So I think the better team does win more often than not. I'd be interested to see if we did a study what we perceived as the better team going into a series actually loses 
I think that the high, high percentage, way more than home court and this and that, and home court wins 72% of the time or whatever, I do think that the percentage would be higher on the perceived better team. And the Jazz, I perceive them to be better. So I have that in this situation here. But I think it's important that they come out and establish themselves on that because the to an extent, you know, maybe not Valanciunas, but John Morant's a young buck, right? And he's sort of feeling his way in this league. And what level of star can he be? Can he be a Steph Curry star? Or is he going to be like a Mike Conley star? You know, Mike Conley was a very good player for Memphis for many years. But I don't think he'll go down as the upper elite when it's said and done uh, in his NBA career. Whereas Steph Curry, when he's done, he's going to go down at that level. So, in my mind, Moran has already established himself as a star. But what level of star? And the point I'm making is... Boy, you don't really want him to feel his oats now and think, I am just absolutely invincible and nobody can stop me because then he becomes even more dangerous and their team will feed off of it and their crowd will feed off of it and then the task gets very difficult. So find a way to keep him under control to some degree and not allow him to do what he's been able to do so far. He's already got a lot of confidence. No reason to give him any more. And a second win in game three, I would think that would just load them up with confidence. Uh, that whole scenario you talk of right there, the Jazz want no part of that. Got to take right. the lead in the series of game three. Uh, Tim yes. is coming at Tim Utes for life. Says, what am I worried about? With Donovan back, nothing. Talent Sweet. advantage. Unguardable. Opens the floor for everybody else. Keep Donovan out there. Tennis coming. Tim Utes for life. Believes the Jazz are in good shape. And I got to say, you and I both okay. agree with him, don't we? At that point, they got more I do talent. believe they're, they're in the good shape, team. yeah. yeah. All right, so. David Locke coming up next. We'll see what he thinks. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are joined now by David Locke. His weekly interview is brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good. I am curious how much you think game two is what this series really is because Donovan was back and that just changes everything. And so game one's kind of a one-off. Or how much game two at 141-129, that's also a game that isn't going to be replicated. And in some ways the series is 1-1, but it hasn't really started yet. We haven't gotten down to what is a quote-unquote normal game. What do you think? So the area where I would agree with the last part of your comment, TJ, is that the the foul trouble has dictated so much of this series and how the series is played. Um, with Mike Conley and Rudy Gobert going out at 54-50 while the Jazz were kind of surging in the third quarter of Game 1 and Dylan Brooks and Valanciunas being out of the game early in the first half. Um, however... When I went back, Donovan actually is directly connected to all six of those fouls. So Donovan drives the lane, throws a backhand bounce pass to Rudy Gobert, Valanciunas fouls him. Memphis has a fast break. Donovan sprints the floor, gets up underneath Valanciunas, holds him out of the post just long enough so that Royce can come back in and bump out with Donovan. Royce now and has pushed Valanciunas out far enough. Royce gets there. Valanciunas elbows Royce in the face. 
Donovan drives the lane. Valanciunas comes over. Bounce pass to Rudy. Rudy's going up for the dunk. Valanciunas has to come over and, and try to stop him, making a multiple action defensive play, which is not Valanciunas' strength. And he picks up his third foul. Donovan comes off a pick. Dylan Brooks tries to blow it up by by getting in between him and the pick, which is what he was doing to Mike Conley and Joe Ingles, and they weren't strong enough to handle it. Donovan's strong enough, foul on Brooks. Second time, exact same thing, foul on Brooks. Brooks overplays, Donovan drives, foul on Brooks. So Donovan directly created all six of those fouls. Um, I also just thought everyone played a much better game. Um, the Jazz have a phrase called point five, where you need to make your decision of whether you're going to pass, shoot, or dribble in 0.5 seconds, really basically make it before you get the ball. They executed that at a much better level. With Donovan on the floor, I think they can do that, whereas when Donovan's off the floor, our guys have a tendency to feel the burden of having to create the offense, and so I think they hold it a little bit and then try to go to work. Um, And so I do think game two is a representation. Having rewatched game two, I think the Jazz feel what the Grizzlies are doing. I'm not particularly worried about the – I'm not actually particularly – I think the Jazz are fine in the series. And the Grizzlies are great. And I'm super impressed. And Taylor Jenkins is one of the best coaches in this league and should be in the Coach of the Year conversation. This is not in any way like a – I mean, if they don't, if the Jazz don't play well, if the Jazz don't come out with the energy in Memphis and they don't come out with the fight, you know, something like that. But if the Jazz play, we'll be okay in this series. So you view Mitchell as the difference maker then? Yeah, I mean, he's your best. He really was tremendous in that game. And Mike Conley, oh, my gosh. That's one of the best displays of reading defenses and playing the pick and roll and and what's going on I've seen in a long time. And so, you know, part of what you're doing defensively is you're trying to play, make people make certain plays. When Mike makes every single one of them, there's not a lot of answers left if you're Memphis at that point. Like, Mike was holy. I mean, Donovan is just breaking your defense and taxing you with his pressure and his ability. And and Donovan was – Donovan, you know, we hear all the stories – of Donovan and his film and like Joe's been on the show with you guys and talked about how much film Donovan watches like actually in this game it was really obvious like it was really obvious to me re-watching the game that Donovan's film study had paid off to him he knew exactly what Dylan Brooks was going to try to do to him early in the game and he got he drew fouls he knew exactly what their pick and roll coverage was and he reacted to it prior to you know setting them up really really well that work he puts in was evident in the rewatch and then Mike Conley's reading of their pick and rolls and they did a lot of really interesting coverages and um, brought people into the pick and roll from strange places and it wasn't traditional and Mike was reading it the first time every time it was awesome so when I'm it comes sure. to, I guess actually, I guess if you, you can either take that one of two ways, I could guess I could be a little concerned because I don't know that Mike Conley can be better than that. I don't know that a point guard can be better than that actually. So when it comes to Conley and re-upping him, and I know that discussion is down the road, but that game wins me over because. You know, we've all been around long enough to hear Jerry Sloan's words echoing, right, and value the 82-game guy, and the average NBA player plays 72. And I just think with Mike and the hamstrings, he shouldn't be playing back-to-backs at this point. He's had a problem with him for two years. He's in his 30s. So it kind of makes him a a 65-game-a-year guy. And, you know, if there's any other injury, maybe it's 60, maybe it's 55, whatever. But you see what he's capable of doing in the playoffs, and you think, 
Yeah, you just got to roll with that regular season stuff, whatever it takes to keep them healthy. And I know there's conversations about money and I'm spending other people's money. But, uh, man, watching that game, too, I thought whatever the issues, it's it's worth it to get them back. So I generally agree with you like 95%. I'm just going to give the 5% here just for mm-hmm. the sake of better conversation. So the two conversation pieces that on this that have to be held are at what dollar figure? Right yeah. there is a there yep. is a breaking yep. point when you're 100%. in the luxury tax and and he's 30 years old and it's not and he's gonna slow down but his game you know his reads and his things are all gonna be good and Chris Paul's kind of generally proving you can keep doing this the other one is he's really small and that's obvious right now like you know when Royce O'Neal is guarding John Morant it's really different than when Mike Conley's guarding John Morant and it's it's problematic like Derek Favors in. Rudy Gobert cannot leave Jonas Valanciunas. He's a beast, and they have to be on his body and touch, making contact with him the whole time. And so when Morant moves into the lane, Mike has to try to stay with him, and Mike's just too small. And Morant's not impacted at all by his presence in the slightest bit. And he's also, the other answer then is, well, then you do what the Jazz call, it's a late switch on that. But you can't late switch Mike Conley onto Jonas Valanciunas. He's just too small. So that is real. And Donovan's not very big. So there has to be a little evaluation as well on whether or not moving forward two six foot one guards, one of which will be thirty three years old, is actually the right answer. Now I let me start where I let me go back to where I started. I ninety five percent agree with you. Um, but that last five percent is real. Okay, so you talk about that film study on Brooks. How much film study anticipation what Morant wants to do and where he wants to go can help them in defending him? It's going to be interesting to see. So Morant is really, really, really left side dominant. Like, it's insane. Like, I think in the entire – so that little floater zone where he's, like, coming around and, you know, getting the ball in the – he gets in the lane, right, and he – Works it inside. He doesn't get all the way to the rim. He's taking almost nothing at the rim. And he takes that shot. He is, I think, and I was going to pull it up here. Um, I have it in my notes, but, of course, at this exact moment, I'm not finding my notes. Um, he, he has taken, like, 14 shots all year in that floater zone on the right side of the floor. 14. Here, here's the exact numbers, Okay. So within five feet of the basket, he took 506 shots. From five to like 12 feet on the left side of the floor, he took 58, and he made 48%. He took 120 from like eight, six, seven, eight feet to 12 feet straight away, 120. On the right side, he took 13. He only made three. Is there anything we can do that keeps him off the left side of the floor where he's at his most comfortable? He's always either coming straight left side or right to left side, and that and then he takes the right-handed floater. That's his shot, and he no one else has stopped in a no one else has been able to stop. But in a one-game regular season, that's unlikely. Is there anything we can do defensively to try to keep him a little bit more on the right side of the floor? And I I don't I don't know. Maybe he's just too quick and too. Um, electric to be able to do that to him. But that would be something I would watch is like, how easily is he moving right to left on Saturday um, inside the paint? Can we restrict that movement in any way? The the other one I would just say is like, 
this is going to cool down a little bit. Like, he's terrific, and he's hot. But he's like 20 of 29 on floaters right now. Like, that can't last. This is not possible. (laughs) So I know that's like, you know, I'd probably get punched by Quinn if I, like, you know, was talking to him and I said, yeah, you're fine. Like, that can't last. He'd be like, you know, great, great, easy for you to say, right? But, like, it, 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 it actually can't. Like, it's just not a, it's not a realistic thing for that to, for that to keep going like this. So he, he's going to start missing some shots and, and at some point in time, he just happens to be on a roll right now. And I, I, you know, I don't know when they happen, but they probably won't happen as fatigue kicks in and some other things over the course of a season. It's just, you know, he, he's, but he's on fire right now. Let's, let's give him, he's awesome. Like, and it's John Morant versus, or Zion Williamson is going to be a super interesting debate over the course of their careers. Cause I, 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 I'm I'm not sure. Like uh, Zion is is all that, but um, Shaw's going to stay. I I suspect Shaw stays healthier, and if he ever learns how to really shoot it, it's like over. So I'm curious. Uh, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of Jazz fans watching him go for 47, thinking, "Well, I watched that Warrior Laker game and." Man, the Lakers sent AD. Granted, there aren't many ADs running around, but they sent AD out there to help double team and just get the ball out of his hands no matter what. What do you think about that, and what do you think about the fourth and fifth options who could be different players depending on who's on the floor? What do you think about the Grizzlies' fourth and fifth options for handling that if the Jazz ended up committing to that kind of thing? So I'm going to come from a totally different angle here. Mm Mm-hmm. He took 20 free throws. That's my problem. But I might be all right with him getting 40 on floaters. We just got to keep We can't put him on the line 20 times. He's 8 of 10 in the first five seconds of the shot clock. Okay? So he's getting four runouts a game. Can we, can we reduce that? Can we get that down to two runouts a game? Can we take his 20 free throws and get him to eight or to seven or to six and then let him do his thing? And then Desmond Bain doesn't get shots and Melton doesn't get shots and Kyle Anderson doesn't get shots and Dylan Brooks gets fewer shots and Valanchunas doesn't. Valanchunas is the one that worries me. I don't want him going 10. We're double teaming and now you're shifting all over the place and Valanchunas goes 11 or 13. That we lose. That's how you lose. I know it's not as dynamic. It's not as interesting. How everyone loses to us. It's interesting that we don't get this. This is how we beat everybody. You go do all this crap, and then Rudy goes 11 of 13, and you talk about everybody else beating you. No, Rudy beats you. But Valanciunas can do the same thing. He's very talented, and if we're not careful, he'll go get 11 dunks or nine dunks or six dunks and five layups because we're so worried about John Morant. The key play to me of the entire game the other night is the one time Rudy steps up, John Valanciunas gets a dunk. Now he also gets a technical on it. But the really reason he gets a technical is Rudy's so late coming back to get to him that Rudy's actually under the rim. So when he comes down, he hits Rudy in the face with an elbow. But that's the one play where Rudy stepped up to deal with Morant. It was a dunk. I want Morant shooting the floater rather than Valanciunas dunking or a wide-open three. Just stop fouling him. If he gets 40, he gets 40. We'll win. So basically, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, what you're saying is, you know, let Morant do his thing, 
but essentially keep Brooks and Valanciunas under control and they don't have enough to beat you. Yes. That's why my question was about guy four and five, because I wouldn't think that there's any reason, you know, to go double and get in a scramble and get beat by Brooks and get beat by Valanciunas. So it's more maybe the way the Rockets defended the Jazz, where you turn it into a game of, uh, you know, four on five and whoever their uh, Ricky Rubio is, you know, who, who when they're in the game can be treated that way where you can just constantly help off that guy. So it's Kyle Anderson, but he's so good off the ball, I'm not sure you can do it. Like, the two times Bogey did it, he got beat back door. Mm-hmm. Andy Larson had a interesting note um, in which during the regular season, I, I'm not going to get this quite right, but he had an interesting note that during the regular season, Memphis's points per possession off John Morant passes on the pick and roll was like one point two and Morant shooting was like point eight. I still think that's right. Do you at all dunks? Oh man, I thought I had it. <laughs> ah, I'm ahead. You're behind two to one. No, that first one didn't count. <laughs> it did too. Yeah, no, that was ruling from the judge. No, that was on me. <laughs> no, the first one was on me. You're tied one one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh, oh, this is such well, playoff are you, refereeing. Are you, are you guys going to explain what's happening here, by the no, way? No, no, no. Yak is right. It's it's tied 1-1. No, we'll, uh, we'll I keep that, Yak. There's a good drop for you. Yak is right. DJ can – he'll surge in the lead before we're done. Uh, how much do you keep an eye on what's going on on the other side of the bracket relative to what it means to the Jazz, meaning – if the Mavs get this series over quick, how much impact would it have on the Jazz if they didn't get the series over quick? Well, I think that's important. Um, yeah, I think I think that's very important. I mean, part of being the number one seed is you're supposed to get your series done quickly so that you get rest, and then you have an advantage going to the second seed. But unfortunately, without Donovan in game one, that didn't happen for us. Right. So, um, um so, yeah, I think that's important. Interesting, the Clippers, I was looking at the line and say Clippers are favored tonight. Yeah. Do you buy that? Or you think the Mavs are going up 3-0? Or you think it's the desperation the Clippers get a game here and then ultimately lose the series? Pretty interesting if they don't, right? Doesn't look like it's Doc Rivers' fault. That's all I'll say. <laughs> uh, I mean, it looks like Kyle, Low- Kyle Lowry's the winner in this game to me. Explain. Yeah. Right. Kawhi gets all the credit for Toronto's championship. Maybe it was actually Kyle Lowry's leadership, and Kyle Lowry's the guy, and the Kawhi actually isn't the guy who can lead a franchise with that personality. Hmm. Interesting concept that you would go to Lowry as opposed to, well, I guess maybe just the team, but I guess they go to the next best player or the perceived whoever the best player is. Yeah, but see, I think the Clippers, for being down 0-2, I don't really count them in a despair. Now, if they lose Game Three, certainly, but I still think they've got a decent shot in this series. Maybe I'm up in the well, night. Well, interesting. I was on. Uh, this is. I don't know if all lines are the same, so I'll, I'm just going to quote the site so I'm being accurate. So I was at Bet Online um, today. The Jazz have better odds to win their series in the Mavericks right now. Huh. That's crazy. Uh-huh. That's really crazy. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. 
it's that much respect for the Clippers. And if it's not Lowry who deserves the credit, is it Serge Ibaka? And I think that's the reason it's going to Lowry because Serge is another veteran who'd been deep in the playoffs and all that. And so in Toronto, Kawhi Leonard could do his quiet loner thing and it didn't disrupt the team because they already had a strong team chemistry in place and they'd been so close and they put up with Kawhi because they thought he'd put them over the top and with the help of some warrior injuries he did but the Clippers had a different vibe going and it led to conflict and they'd never all gotten on the same page and maybe it's not fair to expect it of Ibaka but because he hasn't been able to be that bridge, at least to this point, it doesn't look like it, Lowry's getting all the credit, that he was the guy who was able to to bridge whatever chemistry issues there were. You know, the Clippers just are interesting. I mean, maybe they'll come back and win. This is, you know, we're just speculating. It's interesting. They're, one re- they're not the team we've – I've loved them all year. I thought they were going to win it. I thought they were the best team all year. Um, the two best teams, I, other than the Jazz, all year long to me were the Clippers and Denver – um, before Murray got hurt. Um, and I actually, well, before Murray got hurt, I actually thought Denver was going to win the West. Um, the Clippers, though, part of what I loved about them the most was Serge Ibaka's addition as a, full, as a five, and I thought Luke Kennard created ball movement. Well, Luke Kennard's not playing, and Serge Ibaka played eight minutes. So... And now their small lineup is Marcus Morris instead of Serge Ibaka. And Morris is a great three-point shooter, and he's interesting. But I, I like what Ibaka does more. And so I, they're not the team I thought they were. Um, or the team, that, the team that I made up in my head that I fell in love with is not the team that actually has materialized throughout the season. Is that because, I don't know, it's interesting. The Luke Kennard inability to play to me is really interesting because I, I now it could be two things. His knees are bad and maybe they're really bad. Um, but I really like the way Luke Kennard plays as a complimentary player, but maybe you can't be a complimentary player on that team. It's so stagnant. There's not enough ball movement out of your stars. And so, and I love how Serge Ibaka plays and I love, and I thought Nicholas Batum was going to be their point guard because he moved the ball. But maybe if you don't have a collection of ball movers, it doesn't matter if you have a ball mover. I don't know. I've got to figure out, like, I, when that team was rolling out, you know, a collection of Batum and Kennard and Kawhi and Paul George and Zubak and Ibaka and, 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 the, and Morris, and that was your seven, and I'm probably Patrick Beverly could play a little for all you want. Like, to me, that was an incredible group, and they started to move the ball and swing it at endless length and – but that's not who they are right now. And so I don't know. And I also would say the other one is the narrative on them was that they had terrible team chemistry last year because the superstars came in and the old guard of Beverly, Harrell, and Williams, you know, wanted the respect they deserved in their minds for being the eighth seed the year before and all their gritty and play and that there was this huge divide inside the team. Well, they got rid of basically all those guys other than Beverly, who they tried to get rid of, but they couldn't through trades. And so they went and cleaned house on all those guys to, like, fix the chemistry. And, and I bought into that narrative, too, that once they got rid of Harold and Lou Williams, they would – and, you know, and Beverly was minimized in the locker room by Rondo, that they would be fine internally. Um, but that doesn't seem to be maybe, – maybe that's not true either. Well, David, we'll leave it right there. We appreciate can, can the time. I, we'll hear you on the I, call can Saturday. I, can, can, apparently yeah, can, you can. Can I, can I take a second here? Sure. I, I understand the quandary we're all in as entertainers in this business. 
that no listener wants us to be doing every segment and belaboring our, our shows on the racist behavior of certain fans in our arena. But we need to talk about it because it's happening regularly. You listen to players that play in this league, and they all talk about their experiences in Salt Lake City in these arenas. Not all of them, but plenty. We've had the Russell West. We've had the racist fan incident with Russell Westbrook. We had the racist fan last the other night with John Morant. And I understand that me and you and PK, as entertainers and doing shows and needing to get ratings, that nobody wants to wake up this morning and listen to us belabor this point. But we have to talk about it, and we have to start the denial that it exists. The only way we're going to eradicate it from our community and be the community we want to be is to admit that it exists. Our most common line is, it's just a few bad apples. It's not who we are. Guess what? Everywhere I go today, I'm going to be asked about it. I've got five different calls. I promise you it comes up in every call in some way, shape, or form. It's becoming who we are. Whether we want it to be or not, we need to be actively against this type of behavior and we do need to talk about it and we do need to educate those who don't understand the impact of it and we do need to address it i'm not criticizing either of you on this i did the same thing today on my podcast i took 95 seconds to open the show i'm sure you've already done it no one wants us to belabor it every minute but we have to talk about it and we have to admit it and we can't whitewash it or push it aside and claim it's just a few bad apples because it's embarrassing I'm personally embarrassed, and I wake up today as a representative of the Utah Jazz, mortified and cringing on how much I have to deal with this today. We've got to collectively, as a group, work together as a group, not individually in our own little bubbles, to become the community we want to be. Well, I think it's pretty clear, because we've got multiple examples now, that you're going to get kicked out of the arena, and if you're a season ticket holder, you're going to lose your season tickets. But I think merely not saying that doesn't change the underlying attitudes that I think you're probably carrying around, or you wouldn't be saying stuff like that. So it kind of drives it underground, but it doesn't really change the way you behave and the thoughts you're carrying and how you interact with people you know, every minute, every hour, every day, blah, 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 down the line. I don't really know what to tell you about that because I don't have a great answer for what's going to make people change that. I mean, right now I don't have a great answer for what's going to make people stop saying it in the arena, let alone stop thinking it and carrying it around with them. So you're going to get kicked out of the arena. The threads I saw on social media, people were having plenty of discussion about it yesterday. And it was largely a lot of people liked inter- interacting with uh, Morant's family. And then a couple people got way out of line and apparently got called out by the people in the section. So I guess that's encouraging. Um, but it's still happening, and that's awful. Right. Yeah, no, calling them out in the section is great. That's, that's the start of the active. I mean, that's part of being the active anti-racist. You know, that's what we want to be. Like, that's good. And, you know, the comments are so disgusting. I can't even imagine how somebody how somebody even thought about it. Like, like it's crazy. But it's clearly right, David. Like, there's, there's something to it. Yeah, we got to run. We appreciate it. We will talk to you again next week. Sounds good. David Locke will be on the call. Game three, Saturday night. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson.
Sam Amick of The Athletic. Let's start with what you saw in Game 2 and how the Jazz adjusted. They hit their threes, which is something that didn't happen in Game 1. Yet again, we get reminded that sometimes in the playoffs, you can't count on threes like you could during the regular season. That was fun to watch. Donovan, like, being on a shelf for more than a month and then obviously being disappointed and frustrated that he didn't get to play in Game 1. If you didn't know any of that backstory, but then you watched the way he competed in that first quarter, like, you probably could have guessed, man, there's something different going on with this guy. Like, he was on one, and it was fun to watch him try to check Dylan Brooks and send a message like, our big dog is back and you can stop trying to bully us. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7, presented by Big O Tires, the team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. The Davis Vision Spring LASIK Sale is going on now. Get rid of those contacts and glasses and save $1,000. Start your road to better vision at Davis Vision. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call them today at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. We are joined right now by Tim Crompton. He is the athletic director at Weber State. We're at the Ogden Country Club. Weber State's golf tournament underway. And PK, Jay Hill is just lashing 300-yard drives down the middle of the uh, – down the middle of the fairway and tim i'm curious football coach and golf coach once you get football out of the spring it seems like it could work first thing uh, thanks for having me and thanks Uh for being out here you guys appreciate it it's a you couldn't pick a better day if you're in the sun Um, right now in terms of our golf coach joining the tour he can hit it a long ways there's no doubt about it now keeping it straight and then being able to finish on the green does seem to be. If he can get those things cleaned up a little bit, maybe he's got a shot. But, uh, <laughs> but he can hit it. There's no doubt. He's crushing that. That's for sure. So, obviously, in college athletics with this pandemic, finances have been a big, big deal. Uh, Weber got in, what did they get in, six fo- football games. What's the state of the financial situation relative to the pandemic for Weber State? Yeah, that's a good question, one that uh, certainly I've, I've – uh, been given a lot over the last eight, nine months. I would say that we're fortunate at Weber State. We, we have an administration that is extremely um, supportive, for one, intelligent, have, have prepared themselves for, for situations, you know, not knowing they were going to come, and, and then allowed us to play in the spring. And, and as you know, that wasn't the case for all of the football teams across the country, and that took a commitment, like you're saying, financially. And, but we were prepared for it, and, and we went ahead and were able to provide uh, the football team and all of our sports um, the opportunity for those kids to come and play and participate in the, in the sport that they signed up to play. So we've heard a lot about that football stadiums, full capacity, most of them are outdoors. I get in the big sky, you've got some exceptions. You know, you've obviously got some domes, but you're, you're playing outdoors. And so I'm curious, are the protocols going to change for the team and what they have to do all week long? Is there still going to be a lot of rules and regulations going forward, even if they're fans in the stands? How's that going to work? That's a really good question as well. And I think that one thing that we do know is that they have changed all along. I mean, we feel like we're in a much better place now than we were a year ago at this time. So we anticipate and hope that that will continue to be the case. I mean, the NCAA is going to come out with their recommendations and the conferences, and and then each locale in, in their own counties will will have their own situations or their own protocols they have to follow. But our hope is that when we get to the fall with, with the vaccinations and being outside, that we're in, a, you know, we're in a, a different place than we are today, and we're in a different place today than we were you know, even at the beginning of the spring. So 
It feels a lot better. Basketball will be indoors. Will it be wide open? Hard to say. You know, again, uh, that's what we would like to see. We would like to see it be wide open. Um, and I, I, I'm hoping that if it continues to move in the same direction it has been moving, that that would be our, that would be our expectation. But it's hard. For, I can't really say. How's the scholarship situation affecting Weber State? Because a bunch of these kids have the opportunity to come back and all that stuff. And I'm not sure. just speaking football. I'm talking about the whole athletic department. That's a great question as well. And I think all athletic departments are, are taxed with that, right? They're um, going to have to decide. And each coach, each program is going to have to decide. And we certainly have a philosophy for all of our sports where – you know, the coaches are going to have to manage their rosters. They're going to have to decide what makes sense for somebody academically as well as athletically for their student-athletes, whether they return. And there are some kids are, that would like to return that may not be able to return because they're just on a different path. Does everything come back down to the traditional levels? I think 63 scholarships for your football team, 85 for BYU, Utah, and Utah State. Does everything go back in one year, or are they going to kind of – that's a great Bring question they haven't said. You know, they Dude. have not said that. Now, my anticipation would be is that once we get through um, this next year that you would, you would see it come back down. But I, I can't say because it's not just affecting the one class. You know, it's going to affect all of the classes. But logically speaking, that should dissipate. So mm-hmm. to your point, they may do that, they may not. And we're just taking it one year at a time. Not one game at a time, but one year at a time. I'm one year at a time. You're one year at a time. Because I'm outside that circle of jinx, right? <laughs> I used to be in that circle of jinx, but no longer. No. Like, if you think you're going to win, you got to show up with the trophy. If you're the coach, don't, don't, I don't want to see the trophy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tim. we got to go to break. We appreciate your time. Thanks for having us out uh, here, and good luck negotiating whatever it is the next year throws at you. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, and thanks for having me. All right. Tim Crompton, Athletic Director at Weber State. When we come back, your feedback on today's show. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Join hands with Scotty G today, 10 to 2. They're coming up next at ARUP 9786 South, 500 West in Sandy. Come save a life and donate some blood. You'll receive a gift card and Utah Jazz gear for your donation. ARUP needs your help. Donating blood before a long weekend is critical. Hands with Scotty G next at ARUP 9786 South, 500 West in Sandy. Well, PK, the question of the day. Game three is coming up. Jazz fans, what are you worried about? Jazz have to win on the road. What are your worries? And Andrew says unforeseen expenses, medical bills, damage from windstorms, those types of things. (laughs) I hate unforeseen expenses. Now, foreseen expenses, totally fine with. (laughs) Ellis McJets fan pickle says, I worry about whether or not I've adequately prepared my children to make good decisions once they're out on their own. But at the same time, I worry that I'll forget that it's okay to let them make the wrong decisions sometimes because that's how we learn. Average homeboy responds, well, I never worried about this until now, so thanks for that. <laughs> uh, nice. Well, I could write a book. <laughs> uh, in Oregon says, am I saving enough for retirement? I mean, in 30, 40 years, I'll know, but by then it'll be too late. And then what do I do? Well, I think you have to trust the process. You know, if you go to work and you put aside and you got Social Security and you got your whatever 401k or version of that that you have, I think you just have to keep plowing day to day, grinding, as they say. And then when you get there, 
have faith that it's enough. And if not, well, then it sucks and you have to keep working. Salty Dog at Jimmy Zetti says, I worry that I'm not producing enough belly button lint to meet demand and stuff. <laughs> you know, this has really taken a turn that I did not anticipate. I know, me too. Me when I clicked too. on this, I, I thought there was going to be a lot of stuff about shooting threes on the road and uh, mental toughness and that kind of stuff. But people got pretty random pretty quickly. You know, I guess I worry about uh, not having enough sunscreen on a hot, sunny day when I'm outside. Okay. <laughs> if we're just going to pick random things, that's one thing that came to my mind. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. So, interviewing Jay Hill, and I'm blinking asking a, a question, and someone takes a photo and posts it. And now it's like, are you taking a nap while Jay Hill is talking? <laughs> you can't win. You really can't. I'll never <laughs> blink again. Johnny, thanks for posting the blinking photo. <laughs> if only you could have waited a don't, split second later, your eyes would have been wide Johnny. open. <laughs> Johnny, Johnny, Johnny. That, uh, hey, I'll step in here. That, that one's on me for posting that photo. Oh, Yach did it. Johnny, you're safe. We're good again, Johnny. Good. Yak and I, on the other hand, we have made Well, then problems. delete it. Okay. Yeah, Yak. <laughs> Dustin. I'm done. D- Dustin, the best bad golfer at Highlights Ute, says, Guys, I'm not worried. How about that? Confident Jazz fan. 1-1. The first game was a one-off. Donovan wasn't there. That changes everything. And now the Jazz are in control. Well, you know, I really trust Locke and his analysis of stuff because I think he has a brilliant mind and in a lot of ways and virtually every way for that matter, but certainly on these types of things in which he feels and sees. And I didn't get the impression that he seemed all that worried. No, he didn't. Uh, I did think that the way he broke down all, how the fouls, you know, that a lot of that, a lot of those problems aren't just happening. And I think a lot of fans look at that. And certainly, we've all seen fouls go uncalled and, you know, the 50-50 call that can go either way. I, I do think as we get deeper in the series, there's going to be less foul trouble for both teams. The Jazz had it in game one, that third quarter. That was a problem to have Conley and Gobert in foul trouble when Donovan was out. Um, and certainly, that was a terrible start to the game for the Grizzlies, and I just think they're going to swallow the whistle later in the series, and they're not going to put guys in foul trouble. Well, I, can, I can buy that, but I'm far more concerned about – the Jazz staying out of tra- foul trouble than I am about the Grizzlies getting in foul trouble. Yes, I totally agree with that. Uh, if neither team is in foul trouble, advantage Jazz. Yep, because yep. I think they have the better team and they got more matchups. And, and the Jazz depth, I think that's one thing to really watch here. You know, the Jazz, the bench scoring should favor the Jazz. They're, they're, when they go to the bench, the, you know, the plus nine, minus numbers – favor the Jazz, which guys depends on how the coaches manipulate the matchups. But at some point, the Grizzlies are going to have to play guys who just aren't as good as the guys Quinn Snyder can run out there. Yeah, as long as Gobert is able to play his allotted minutes. I think that that was – I could argue that That's even the biggest beyond thing Mitchell one. not being there, exactly, yeah. yes. Yeah, because at least Conley and Ingles are still there to pick up some of the load. Yeah. Um, but Valanciunas is just so big. I mean, if you and you have PK, if you stand next to Derek Favors, 
I mean, if he came to this golf tournament today here at Ogden Country Club, Derek, Derek Favors is a huge human being. He is huge. And he stands next to Valen Schwinnis and he looks tiny. And right. the only thing I really compare it to is, you know, Carl Malone was huge and he would stand next to Shaq and you're like, Carl looks tiny. You know, so, uh, and it, it's not that it's easy for Rudy, but, you know, Ru- Rudy's got a little more size and is a little more able to deal with Valen Schwinnis, so. Yeah, I mean, he's at a distinct size disadvantage. I mean, what are you going to do there with Derek on Valanciunas? Valanciunas is so big and so thick, not just big, tall, but really thick. I think the, the, thing, the thing with Favors, and I thought his energy in game one right from the start was really noticeable, and it's a case of, uh, you know, you can't stop him, you can only hope to contain him, that cliche. And I think with Favors, it's like, Every rebound you get, at least he didn't. Every time you score a bucket, at least you're offsetting it until Rudy gets back in there. And I think you got to value that stuff. There are nights sure. that, you know, the Jazz bench goes in and Favors and, and the guys he's on the court with just light the other team up. Well, it's going to be hard for Favors to light Valanciunas up. But if it's a push, that's a loss for the Grizzlies. And so can, can Favors and that group get to that point? Yeah. Uh, CJ says, I like it. PK Kinahan on mission to help at David DJ James use proper grammar. Hashtag irregardless. <laughs> it just, that's a word. That is proper English. All right, we're going to leave it right there. We're all done. Coming up next, Hans and Scotty G there at ARUP. Your chance to get jazz gear, donate blood, and save a life. They're next with more on Game 3 tomorrow night. Stay with us.